Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerdslayer, your host. My hair is kind of all over the place today. That's kind of how we're feeling on this Monday, the 18th of uh, February. The things we'll talk about this week uh, during our current gaming topic section, <clears throat> we'll talk a bit about the Activision Blizzard massive layoffs that recently happened, totaling over 800 people. We'll talk about uh, recently Belgium banned microtransactions. So that means that PES 2019 or the FIFA games will no longer have the microtransactions, which obviously affects electronic arts. So we'll talk about that a bit. We'll also talk about Paradox apparently is teasing a new vampire, the Masquerade game. Um, I'll, that, that one's a little bit more like uh, that, that type of reveal is going to take more time to digest because I don't want to spoil the premise yet, but it's a Swedish company. Paradox is a Swedish company. So the way that they ended up teasing this game is pretty, I think, pretty smart. Uh, also, we have the MMOs in the Go segment, of course. We're a quick talk about what's going on in the world of MMOs. As always, we'll talk a bit about Life is Feudal, releasing some free expansion. Mortal Online 2, the sequel of Mortal Online 1, uh, apparently is coming and announced already and being worked on. It will use the Unreal Engine 4. We'll talk about that. As well as um, I had a couple questions that I wanted to get to. Um, one from Earthworm Jimmy, um, one of my regulars. And then also I had uh, Milos wanted to ask me a question that I saved during. And I'll, and I'll get to that during the soapbox segment later on. So how, how's everyone doing today? What are you guys talking about too bad? The rest of the e Oh, yeah. About the microtransactions. Uh, well... The, the whole thing with Belgium, right? I mean, let's just dive into that one first since I guess that one kind of came up first. Backstory, um, if you haven't seen some of the previous podcast episodes, essentially there's been some new uh, rumblings in the world of legislation and, and um, parliament in a couple countries, Australia, Belgium. There's one other, I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, in regards to microtransactions, now microtransactions, of course, are the... Uh, Things that you typically find in sports games, primarily, especially if you want to do online play. FIFA team uh, makes billions of dollars, for example. Uh, my team in any of those games, NFL, NBA, or the MLB games. Well, MLB the show, I guess they have a different concept. But point being, many of those games are, are created by either Electronic Arts or they're done by uh, 2K games. And obviously, 2K games is owned by Take-Two. Everyone knows Take Two because that's the same publisher for Red Dead Redemption. So it's very, it's it, like, put it this way microtransactions are very common in the world of sports games. So, sports games are actually the first, interestingly enough, that are affected by this change in Belgium uh, because obviously Europe makes a lot of money for EA and 2K in regards to microtransactions, especially in these sports games, because essentially, if you haven't played sports games, the way it works is that if you play the single player game, you don't really technically need to buy anything. But if you want to play online or play with like FIFA team, my team, you need to buy cards. And cards cost money, obviously. So it's a microtransaction kind of thing. Cards give you more skills in some cases and, and give you more experience and allow you to do uh, better whenever you, whatever your exact role is in that game. Point being, there's, a, there's an advantage to buying um, microtransactions in these games. And so it, for the longest time, it's been supported in the um, sport, you know, games community, I guess, if you want to call it that way. Microtransactions are more accepted. I feel like in MMOs, like, sure, many of us buy microtransactions and certainly participate in them. 
but we've certainly caught up, I think. The, like, we've caught up with a sense of we're kind of holding developers and publishers at least somewhat more accountable, right? But um, I wanted to specifically talk about this because this is more than just sports games and this is more than just microtransactions in Belgium, right? This is potentially could be a cascading effect. That That's typically how this stuff works where, you know, obviously Europe has many countries side to side. If Belgium passes legislation that, you know, deems microtransactions to be banned, it's not unlikely that other people around the countries around will also evaluate it right because now there's a precedent set by some other you know um law system court system there's a precedent out there of like we know that there there's a problem here right like we know there's a problem with microtransactions um there's been too many lawsuits too many examples of this we know that they can be a problem for consumers and a boon obviously for developers and publishers um but now we're certainly starting to see what I would say the early effects of um, of people banding together, their voices being heard, that's like just the tip of the iceberg, right? Being vocal about microtransactions, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's not until legislation, like in this case, gets introduced that anything could actually happen, right? Because ultimately speaking, in order to unify an audience, I mean, you got to unify a bunch of different people to support your cause, like especially in the case of a union. It's not easy to get that many people to support you. I mean, shit, I can't even get, you know, people to support me sometimes whenever in the same, like, neighborhood, right? Like, people in general have that problem where we're, we're not even willing to, to help somebody in our same neighborhood, let alone our village or our city or our town or our state. But in the case of microtransactions, this happening in Belgium is a good thing for everybody around because, like I said, there, there's a precedent. Now, now we know, like, they can ban microtransactions there is legislation that can be introduced and there is ways to curb excessive spending and really uh, don't allow these companies, these corporations to take advantage of people because that's what microtransactions unfortunately at their worst do, right? I like to talk about the different business models and I think people unfairly characterize different business models with like a lot of bias and I understand that, right? Because there is a lot of uh, bias concerning it. By the way, if you're wondering what the image is in particular, it's just this. I'll post it in chat, but this is the image. It says, important notice for players in Belgium. Following the publication of Belgian Gaming Commissions, the BGC report referring to the mechanics of loot boxes, we fully respect the BGC's interpretation of relevant laws and made the decision to implement local changes to PES 2019. So it looks like this is a little bit misleading because it looks like it's only locally um, and in a test environment, meaning only one single game right now. But this, this still, my point still remains here. This is just like the domino, right? EA is already willing to fight Belgium in court. They've already expressed this. People might ask, why would, why would EA take a country to court um, over microtransactions? Like, what way would they win? I mean, they'll probably argue the legality, right? Um, or argue its uh, effectiveness or, or if it's really all that bad. But now that there's already laws in place or, or being uh, erected, laws are being erected over this, now we have, again, some precedent to fight EA in the future. Like another country now can, can make this statement. And when EA tries to fight it in court or sues them or whatever else, they can say, look at Belgium. Belgium went through the court case with EA. Belgium... One, because of this, that, and this. 
Here's the process. We want to be like Belgium. That's kind of the idea that I see with it. They did actually back down from going to court? Huh. That must be uh, new. Can you, can you find that uh, article for me, Card, so I can just go over it on stream? I appreciate it. But apparently Card's saying that they actually backed down from going to court uh, completely. So I don't, I'm not sure. The, that was, the last I heard, they were still willing to fight. Um, can someone VP into an EU country and still buy FIFA points? I mean, I guess technically, but I mean, I mean, <laughs> sorry, if you do that, you're a mark. <laughs> For people who don't know the term, mark is like a pro wrestling term where essentially you're easily fooled. So I, sorry, I mean, you're the guy who's going to use the VPN to still buy FIFA points. I mean, you you might need to see a psychiatrist or someone who can help you with an addiction. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of people using VPNs to spend more money. <laughs> Usually you use a VPN to steal things. Or not get caught or, or protect your network if you're being DDoSed or something. <laughs> Okay, so Ludens is saying that it depends where your PlayStation account or Xbox is created. Uh, but to, to, to bring it back, VPN to a poor country and buy cheap micros, I'm not sure if it would necessarily work that way, but I could, I could see what you're saying. Uh, I can't let me put it back to... Anyway, the, the main point that I wanted to make about this is that it's interesting to watch unfold we'll see what it means in the in the grand scale like the, the global scale um obviously right now locally just in belgium uh there's been other parliament um so i think someone in chat mentioned it but we've talked about this a couple weeks ago australia um had some recent happenings regarding microtransactions as well so other countries are evaluating this right they're 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 first off they're they're understanding the legality of it but they're also understanding the ethics of it and the ethics here is really the question why are microtransactions a problem? Well, in themselves, they're not a problem, right? When I was a kid, I used to go to the arcade all the time. Like, I loved going to the arcade. Arcades, at the end of the day, no matter essentially what anyone can argue, it's a microtransaction, right? Because it's a small transaction that you just pay like a dollar, maybe quarter, 50 cents, whatever, 75 cents. It's a microtransaction. The game was literally designed to make you spend more money. That's how these arcade games were designed. All microtransactions and sports games and MMOs and shooters and whatever type of microtransaction, uh, whatever genre, where that all comes from is basically looking at the idea of a cabinet or an arcade and thinking, well, people put money in. We intentionally make the game hard and grindy so people have to spend more money. And since they want to be it, beat it, they keep spending more money. And so... People are already taking that exact same concept and applying it to single-player games. But obviously, we've already seen it in tons of multiplayer games. Battlefront, Battlefield. Um, uh, and people were complaining about Anthem as well. Though I don't think Anthem's nearly as bad. Destiny, people complained about that. Progression with regard to what you could buy. Um, those are probably the biggest ones I could think about. Okay, so apparently... Um, Card gave us an article here. Let's pull this up. So the the latest news, apparently, as in a month ago, EA gives in to Belgian regulators stop selling FIFA loot boxes. So this is the last news I heard as well. I I know that they stopped 
um, selling the FIFA points. But I don't know if they exactly said that they wouldn't buy them in court. So let me let me read through this. Because I remember Andrew Wilson did make a statement, and Andrew Wilson, the C the CFO, not not my brother, but <laughs> the um the CFO Andrew, he did make a point that they were going to fight it on whatever grounds they could last time I saw. But he says, while we are taking this action, we do not agree with the Belgian authorities' interpretation, and we will continue to seek more clarity on the matter. Yeah, that, I see what you're saying. That is a bit kind of... I'm not sure what, clari what that means. Like, What do they mean by seeking more clar uh, clarity? Well, I guess um, we'll find out, right? <laughs> what better way than to find out? Yeah, there were also online games back then that charged our hourly as well. That's a good point. Um, point being is like we, we kind of grew up with microtransaction culture, even though it it's, doesn't seem necessarily the same. The only difference is these days, people are trying to sell us essentially full-price goods and also sell us microtransactions. And that that's essentially my next topic is Anthem, concerning the recent drama surrounding Anthem. Um, the, the recent drama concerning Anthem, of course, if you haven't already followed it, it's been primarily centered around uh, the $20 cosmetics, right? Anthem, the... I don't even know what you would call it. Is it a shooter open world game? Shooter open world? It's kind of like a Destiny sort of game. Anyway, um, Anthem is an open world type of shooter game where you go around, you loot it up, get better loot, you fight bosses, um, usually ones that have lots of health, uh, a cool flying mechanics, decent gameplay. It isn't open world. Loot and shoot? Yeah, I'll call it a loot and shoot. Or a third person shooter. One of those would work. Um, and of course, the company that designed uh, or develops Anthem is none other than Bioware. And not just Bioware, as in Bioware Edmonton, Canada, or Bioware like all the Biowares, according to the last report from Bioware themselves, they put their main team to work on Anthem. So like this, Anthem has to be successful for Bioware. Otherwise, I mean, Hard and I talked about this, like I think even a year ago, but we even mentioned early on when they announced Anthem that, you know, that, that Anthem is going to be very pivotal for, uh, for Bioware to see kind of where their future lies because EA won't outright shut down companies that they own um, when they're putting out products. Like, I've never seen precedent for that. But they obviously have shut down many companies, and they will shut you down if you're not making money. So in this case, it, people shouldn't have this idea that because Bioware has this place in our hearts because we've played their games and because we've been around them, there's familiarity or whatever else. Don't have this illusion that Bioware can also fold. Any company can fold, right? Even even Fortune 500 companies or, or top um, like AAA developers and publishers can fail, right? We've seen it. SOE failed. Isn't that crazy to think? Like, yeah, they technically sold, but I mean, let's be honest, they were on the downspin of their career. SOE, you know, sold to an investor in Daybreak because they needed money. They were running out of money. Like, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to. To realize that but we've seen titans in this industry fall many times right that's what my series essentially covers in a nutshell so with anthem the biggest thing that has me scared about it all is just 
the future of Bioware? Like, where is Bioware going to be? Because, I mean, really, like, I don't talk about game reviews with you guys a whole lot, even though some people think that my videos are game reviews. I don't like game reviews because ultimately reviews are about opinion. No matter how objective you try and be, eventually you have to put yourself out there and say, this is my opinion, right? Which is basically opening yourself up to somebody just discarding it because it's your opinion. So I don't typically like doing reviews because of that reason. But when we look at Anthem, right, and I've been watching it closely. And I've also, of course, like, I, I've been, I was invited to the closed beta and I didn't play, um, basically on principle. I didn't think the game would be good. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could tell if a game wouldn't do good just by watching it. Just like by observing. And I spoke to Card about this in private that... He knows that I've been expressing interest, or I expressed interest two weeks ago in playing the game. Because I, I wanted to see kind of, is what people say about it true? Is the gameplay good? Because most people, you know, argue that the gameplay is decent, right? The gameplay does seem pretty fun. Flying around is cool. Um, certain, certain suits are better than others. So, like, maybe if you start with, like, a more boring suit early on, I've heard that argument as well, that it can kind of change the gameplay, right? But the problems I find with Anthem aren't really the gameplay it's not it's not is, is it a matter of is it fun it's a matter of like why am i doing this and what's the meaning of this yeah so mgpt brings up a good point when you're flying around you're flying around in a small map essentially so it's like the difference between having a jetpack hey, but you're thanks. locked in a warehouse the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting and having an old school plane to know how to fight but you can hands. fly anywhere right I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather drive. I'd rather drive that single engine, even though they have a more propensity to crash. If I could fly everywhere, compared to just flying in a small contained area, and that's the problem with these games that focus so much on gameplay, is because of the fidelity and and all of the the engine uh, technical specifications or whatever else. Right, it takes too much power to run the game at a large scale. That's why we don't see MMOs with combat like BioWare's, you know, Mass Effect or whatever, or or even Anthem or any other game, Destiny. We don't see MMOs like that, really, because it's it's not easy to do that uh, server-side, right? Like, to do that on a live server, it's not easy, right? Because people could be from, I don't know, California. And if there isn't a California server or a West Coast server, they're going to have so much lag and input delay, right? Trying to play on an East Coast server. Especially in a game that needs a good latency. So having a good latency is really important in those types of games. Sure. And sorry, someone said something I wanted to mention. Thanks for the resub, Ion. I appreciate that. It's almost tw it's almost a, a full year, dude. That's crazy. The base suit really sucks. Yeah, so that that's basically the, the thing that I kind of was saying. Card says the second suit you get right after the tutorial. And oh, Card's also saying he will review the game in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that then, guys. If um I can bring Card on sometime and he can talk more about Anthem, because I don't want to sit up here and talk too much about the game itself in terms of its design and its specific game aspects, because I would basically just be retelling you what I've heard from other people, right? Because like I, I didn't play the game. I have no desire to play the game. Um, and I'll tell you why. Anthem has essentially none of the charm that Mass Effect did. And Mass Effect 1, by the way, my favorite Mass Effect game and probably one of my favorite Bioware games. Um, Dragon Age Origins is probably my favorite Bioware game. Dragon Age Origins, and then it's probably Mass Effect 1 for me. I love those games because they had such believable 
stories and worlds within their own framework and they took themselves seriously they weren't trying to be too much you know it, it was just like they they focused on interesting characters interesting stories and and that sort of stuff and that's what i loved about bioware right i loved like dragon age origins all the different origin stories it, you could play the game in with so many different characters and you had such different experiences right and in mass effect mass effect one is a simple premise but it's sci-fi and it just works like mass effect is one of those weird sci-fi universes that kind of just works like it doesn't have a whole lot of problems in it. it as carter and i have said before on podcast it just functions right it functions within itself and so i've always really admired these two worlds that bioware created and when i look at anthem i just i don't see any of that same world i don't see any of the same like life and characters and Somebody brought up a really good point um, concerning one of their characters. They're like, the weird thing in Anthem is that I have a, like a character who's with me, but when he talks to me, it feels as if he's just programmed to talk to me. Like, he doesn't care what I think, what I, like what my perspective is, and he doesn't have a personality. He's just a complete mouthpiece. Somebody described one of your uh, uh, side characters as that in Anthem. And I thought that from my observations of how the story looks so far, which I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, there's not a whole lot you're missing anyway. <laughs> but uh, when they when they kind of explained that to me, I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? That's the first thing I noticed. And, and that just, I, I, don't, I don't think I could do it. I, I don't think I could play a game like that where I don't really just care about any of the characters. I don't care about any of the characters. I don't care about the premise. And I don't even know why I'm doing what I'm doing ultimately. Like, Mass Effect is, again... Mass Effect works because it's an easy premise. There's a giant robot coming to exterminate all of us, essentially. Right? Some sentient machine race is coming to destroy all of us. I don't know about you guys, but I've heard that story before. So it's not original, right? Like, I've heard killer robot stories before. That, that exists in Star Trek. Um, that being said, why is Mass Effect interesting? Because they took the time to build the planets and the characters and talk about the Turians and the the um the first war that the humans had with the Turians, like even though I'm not the most uh it's been a minute since I've read a Mass Effect book, so my lore isn't as sharp as my Star Wars lore, so bite me. But um even now with Mass Effect, I can remember how the Turians discovered the humans and how they warred with each other, but because of that, the humans' technology greatly advanced because they had access to the Citadel had access to the Turian's weaponry and all of their technology. And so the idea in Mass Effect that was so cool to me was that you have this, the Alliance, right? What is the Alliance? Is it the U.S. troops? No, it's not the U.S. troops. Is it, is it the Russian troops? No, it's the troops of Earth. <laughs> it's, it's the human species troops, right? Like, that was the coolest thing to me, is I like the idea of, like, we aren't a state, we aren't a country, we are a world. Like, we're looking at the stars. We're trying to move from this Earth. Like, and I don't know about you guys, but that's appealing to me. So I like that story in Mass Effect. Anyway, Mass Effect and, and, and Anthem, it's not hard to see kind of like the correlation between the two, right? They're both like spacey sci-fi. They both have like jetpacks and like, you know, propulsion technology. They both have guns. They both allow you to use powers like uh, magical powers or biotic powers, depending on how you describe it. They're similar in ways. But I just think that the ways that they're different ultimately is why Anthem is never going to be more than just a footnote. And that's that Anthem, what can you remember about the game? Like, what is the number one thing 
That's what I asked you. For people who've played, for people who've watched, what's the number one thing you think when you think of uh when you think of it? Mute origin. Sorry. I'll I'll mute origin for you. I'm surprised y'all could actually hear that. But I guess if you're just listening to my voice, it's probably not very difficult to, to hear it. I'm gonna open up my volume mixer. Alright, anyway. Jetpack? Flying? What what do we got? Hack and slashing through random stuff. That's that's basically the concept that I saw as well. Flying. Okay. So now I'm going to show you a post that I saved um, that I wanted to show you guys on Reddit. So this is a guy, by the way, if you ever wonder how I can get an opinion on a game if I don't play it, well, I watch other people play it, right? It's not a rocket, like it doesn't take rocket science to, to understand how to analyze things. Either you do it yourself or you watch other people do it and you talk to them, right? Because if I just watch, and I think that I know, sorry, and I think that I know, I don't actually know. So I could make a lot of incorrect statements, which is why when I don't know a game that well, you guys won't hear me talk about the game in details because I don't want to get beat up in the details when I don't know them, right? But if I'm watching somebody and I'm looking um, through their like post, for example, this Reddit post, and I'll post it in chat for everybody to check it out. It's, um, it's easy to see how much, pe uh, how much effort people put in to doing their own analysis and reviews. This one was titled Anthem's Questionable Gameplay One Week, or one week Before Release. He talks about how the in-game content was a bit of a mystery. Like, what is there to do at the in-game of Anthem? For those who don't know, we've talked about this already. Um, there are the hard mode missions that you can do. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. There are the case, those cases. What do they call those? Are they cases or are they... Um, I can't remember what they call them. But there's, there's an in-game progression in the form of more uh, loot. There's an in-game progression in the way of harder difficulty, and I believe there's one group. I think I think it's it's there's a one group mode that they have as well, like one type of in-game quest or something like that. Anyway, point being, there's not a whole lot of in-game, and people were constantly wondering, like, what is the in-game? Because we would ask, and we weren't really sure. So this guy kind of did the math. Like he went through, played the game, and kind of figured it out on his own. So when, when he went through, this is basically what he determined after going through the beginning of the game. That the game is designed in a very simple kind of way, of course. And most games are. They have to be because they're games. They're supposed to be fun, ultimately, right? So the systems can't be too complex or nobody will understand them. Um, so the system can be complex under the hood, right? As, as you know, Limpos would know. Like, the, the, the engineering of it or, or the, the specifics of it can be as, as you know difficult and as specific as possible but when you explain it to your customer you're not going to tell them every single little thing that you did because they don't know nor they care right like here in this case like with anthem the game of course is going to revolve around a simple uh formula so i'm not trying to say because it has a simple formula it's a bad game just so you know because many games have simple formulas and are great games right but essentially the argument that he says is that in anthem the campaign works like this there's a cutscene followed by killing monsters or the next NPC camp, followed by fetching a quest or fetching an object, followed by killing more, defend the beacon to get it picked up, and then you kill things again. Then side quests in the game, he says, are kill, fetch, kill, defend beacon, kill. So there's no cutscene, essentially. But it's basically kind of like the same concept. 
And then the strongholds is what I was trying to remember, by the way. I couldn't remember the name. I wanted to call them dungeons, but that's just the, you know, the MMO player in me. But they're calling them strongholds. Strongholds use the same format, except there's a boss at the end. So it's kill, fetch, kill, defend beacon, kill, followed by boss. So the only difference between these is the first one has cutscene in it. Second one doesn't have cutscene in it. And the third one has a boss. Oh, yeah. Uh, not to mention, of course, you know, there's that drama. Card mentioned something. I don't want to change gears completely, but we talked about it a bit. The whole launch chart, you know, the $20 microtransaction. Basically, a $20 skin has gotten people up in arms. And this is a discussion that I wanted to have because I think, I think this is kind of a more nuanced one than maybe people think. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> At what point can we not call it micro? I'm with you. No, Card's just one of those people, Limpos, that if, you te if everyone tells him that a game sucks, He's going to play the game because he went like he just strikes me as one of those people in some ways. He also likes Bioware games, but Bard's always, you know, struck me as that person that he doesn't really care if the general consensus is if something sucks. He wants to know if it sucks <laughs> himself, <laughs> which I respect. Anyway, there are uh, $20 skins in Anthem, which as somebody in chat. Um, who, who was it that said that? Uh, Bear Not Grills said it. $20 for a, for a skin, right? That's been the recent drama, right? Angry Joe, I mean, on screen. Angry Joe did a video about this. Um, what's his name? Jim Sterling did a video about this. Of course, it's, I mean, I just typed it in, and you can see it basically everywhere. Um, people are complaining about the prices. They say they're not final, right? Bioware does reserve the right to change their prices, so we can't say that it'll be $20 forever. But the fact that it was $20 in the first place... Okay, so I personally don't care about skins, and I don't really care about skins in, in full-launched games. Now, let me explain myself a little bit here. In a multiplayer game, I don't have anything wrong with if I pay full price that I could also potentially get extra skins if I spent more money, right? I'm not really against that. Except the problem is, is that in majority of PC um, shooter or multiplayer games these days, they don't cost money. They don't cost money. The majority of the top players do not cost money to play. They are free-to-play games with microtransactions in them because that's been proven so far. Again, we, we, the market could change, but it's been proven so far to be the best way at making money. Doesn't mean... Free samples, right? Who doesn't love free samples? I don't know. I, I love free samples. When someone gives me like a nice queso when I go to the store, I am way more likely to buy that queso, right? So free, free to play works, right? These things work. Apex, Fortnite, uh, League of Legends, Limpos, Dota. There's tons of examples. There's tons of these free games that you can play that are massively popular. CSGO is another one out there. So you have to be careful of the market in the time in which you release your game and release certain things. The thing about EA is in the past, they haven't really cared. And the reason why they haven't cared is they can get away with it. They can get away with ignoring trends or creating their own trends because they are a giant corporation who has experience in making money. Like EA has kind of always been able to like march to its own drum to some extent and, and, and do its own thing, right? But 
in this case, with Anthem, right? Apex Legends just came out like weeks ago, and it's done by Respawn Entertainment, of course, one of the subsidiary companies under EA, the one who worked on uh, Titanfall, you know, essentially the dice of the other side, right? The, the dice of the Titanfall world. Anthem was basically their kind of saving grace, and I'm not, I don't want to speak too soon because it could still fail. Like, I mean, Realm Royale went up, right back down, right? It looks like it's doing pretty well. And having played the game myself, I think Apex Legends will be around for some time. Um, it's a good game. Why would I play Anthem over Apex Legends? Can somebody explain that to me? Please don't say story. Please don't say single player. And please don't say because I can fly around. Because <laughs> if fly around is essentially the only difference between Apex Legends and Anthem, um, how long do you think it's going to take before Apex Legends you can fly? Uh, having played the game and experienced the engine, not long at all. They will have flying in that game. I will even go as far to say they will have vehicles in that game at some point. They have the engine. They have the framework. But in Anthem's case, can they make that like transition? They don't have the experience, right? Whenever, whenever um, the Mako came out in Mass Effect 1, it was horrible. When the Hammer whatever came out, they charged us a microtransaction for it. They gave us a half-broken Mako and then tried to charge us a, a microtransaction. By the way, this is back when EA had already acquired Bioware. This was during Mass Effect 2. I don't know if you guys remember this story, but I boycotted the, the microtransactions and the expansions in all Mass Effect games. I, I, when I first went through my playthroughs back then, I don't know why I was like... I cared so much about that as a youngin, but I refused to buy the, the, the uh, downloadable content in those games. I refused. And I, and I refused just because for me, I didn't want to, like, I thought the idea of day one DLC was just stupid, man. Like, why are you going to give me essentially a different vehicle because you guys broke the other vehicle? Like, that, that was one of those things that drove me crazy about Mass Effect. But with Anthem, like, I don't even know if they could do vehicles. Like, I don't know what their ceiling is, is what I'm trying to say. They can't go bigger. At least they haven't shown that ability yet, Right. They haven't demonstrated to us that they can go bigger. And I mean bigger world, more players, right? But Apex Legends has already got to 60 players on a pretty big size map. So is it really out of the question for them to make the jump to 100? It isn't. They could get there. I know they can, right? They're right there. So think about it in this way. Anthem in 2019, in February 18th on Monday, shit, during the Six Pixels Under podcast, what does Anthem, my question to you guys, what does Anthem provide you that its competitors don't? Even within the same stable, right? Under EA's uh, banner. What, do, what does it offer you different than these other games? Destiny. Does it, does it offer you more than Destiny does? Warframe? Is it a better Warframe? Because I've heard pretty much all of the arguments that it's worse than Warframe. It's not better than uh, Apex Legends based on popularity. Popularity arguments with a grain of salt. That's kind of the rhetoric that I'm seeing around. So I ask you guys that question, the audience. What, what is, what's the hook for Anthem? The only reason why I ask you this is because, ultimately speaking, you should know the hook for everything that you do, right? Like when you wake up in the morning and you eat food, what's the hook? You got to eat. Right? You got to get some food. So like why do you play things? Because they're fun. So when I play games, I like to play them because they're fun and rewarding to me. Um, Anthem... 
I don't think it has the gameplay to be rewarding enough. Like, it's good gameplay. I, from what I've seen, it looks good. But is it deep enough is what I'm saying. Is it complex enough to keep people playing? Gameplay has to be complex in order to keep people playing long enough. Like, let me take that back. Not complex, but it has to have complexity, right? Like, Jedi Academy is still played to this day because it's an awesome physics engine. It's a great, fun game, and it requires skill to aim your lightsaber, right? People love these. Mountain Blade is a, is a game that's still played, you know, ad nauseum online as well. Like, th these are games that use physics engines and have kind of maybe simple-looking gameplay, but it has little layers of complexity to it, as any Mountain Blade player will tell you. On paper, it looks simple. You just swing and block and try and parry, right? But it's not actually like that because there's a little bit more layer to it. That's what I'm looking for with Anthem. I want to see, you know, in the coming weeks, can people find that extra gear? Like, is there the next level of play in that game? Or does it not get any more complex than kill, fetch, kill, fetch, defend the beacon, then kill the boss and watch a cutscene? We'll see. Um, I'm eager to hear more opinions about the game. Um, also watch what they have in store for content as well. But to bring it back to the point about microtransactions, the reason why people are so pissed about these skins besides just the price is even if the skin's $10, like let's say like Anthem launches and they, they sell $10 skins. Anthem is a $60 game that's asking you to buy skins. Again, compare it to its competition. Does Dota make you spend $60 then $20 more or $15 more? No. Does League of Legends do that? No. Apex Legends do that? No. Does Fortnite do that? No. Does CSGO do that? No. What game makes you pay full price then buy skins? Like, no, like, big popular MMO, sorry, MMO, getting ahead of myself. Multiplayer game right now really does that. Like, pretty much none of them do that because it, it just, it makes more sense to entice your person to want to play the game first, then sell them skins, right? Call of Duty does, yeah, and look at how well they're doing now. <laughs> Well, WoW's a little bit different. MMOs are slightly different because mounts are... Mounts have always been vanity traps, dude. They have. Like, even before people like Blizzard started selling mounts on the store, um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but we used to sell mounts all the time, right? Like, on the black market. So I guess for me, like, I'm used to buying mounts, <laughs> spending money on mounts. But when I was young, like... If I didn't have money to buy a mount, which back then you couldn't buy most mounts with actual money on the store, you bought it from someone else. You spend money, you, you would buy mounts from people. Like, you, you know, that's kind of how it was. Elite Dangerous does? Yeah, Elite Dangerous is probably one... Wait, Horizons does that? Elite Dangerous uh, Horizons does that? That's still how people do that? <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me at all then. <laughs> Retanaru, it's been a minute since I've been involved in the, the black market, if you want to call it that. I think when you spread yourself too thin and try to be good at everything, as well as appeal to the general audience, you lose that extra gear that you described. Anthem just seems like it has a lack of focus and met at first glance. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's pretty astute. If... Okay, so there's, there's a couple of ways to be popular, right? Or like for your game to be popular. Like let's, um, I'll pull up Twitch. Let's just, you know, do this together. I'll show you guys kind of how I formulate analysis on things. Okay, so 
Let's look at uh, like let's browse whatever the games are, um, on the top list right now. Apex Legends, League of Legends, Fortnite, uh, Just Chatting, which is not relevant to us. Dota 2, Metro Exodus. This is a brand new single player game, by the way. So like, brand new single player games. <laughs> I rolled over Anthem. It's technically not a single player game, but boy, does it play like one. But single player games, they typically do well whenever they're new. Right, so like whenever a, a new single player game comes out, it gets ranked really high. Resident Evil, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Metro Exodus. Those are the two big examples I can show you here. But the other ones, as you you know, guys can recognize many of these games. These are games that have been around for some time now. Like, what if I told you by looking at all of these games that pretty much all of the exclusively online ones, uh, the online uh, multiplayer ones, are basically free to play? And and that's sort of the thing is is that out of all of the multiplayer titles in the top five on Steam, or sorry, on, on Twitch, they're all free-to-play. These are all free-to-play games. Hey, I'm trying to illustrate to you guys guy. that free-to-play is better for business. It is. It just, it's been proven to be better for business. So far, right? I'm not saying it, can change, it can't change in the future. But right now, that model is working. So when I talk about Anthem and what is its legacy and what does it mean right now on the market, I'm just sorry. It just looks like essentially it can't compete with the big dogs because it, it's $60 and it wants you to spend $20 on skins like, like um, Black Ops did. Where's Black Ops, by the way? Oh, all the way down here. Check this out. Black Ops came out last year, right? And at one point was top three on, on Twitch. Now I have to scroll down four bars in order to find it at 8k viewers it has less viewers than minecraft and magic and dead by daylight than old school runescape right and why is that well i'm sure there's many different reasons but one e or easily or easily identifiable reason we can you know point out is that it's a full price game with full price skins and that's just a lot that's a lot of money to ask from your customers of course the, the company that's involved in both of these games. You guys ever heard of these companies that are involved in... Uh, you ever heard of the company that did uh, Anthem or, or Call of Duty? What's their name? Um, uh, oh, yeah. Activision Blizzard, right? Activision Blizzard did Black Ops. And Anthem is EA. So you've got Activision Blizzard and EA are the two culprits here. Like the, the, the microtransaction companies. And I, I think that's just so funny to me because you look at these newer players here. Look at this. Apex Legends is technically EA, right? But Respawn, it was a bit of a rebranding for EA. Don't, don't be fooled by Apex Legends. It's a rebranding for EA, right? They, they sold it as Respawn Entertainment's game. It is. But as soon as it got successful, the first press release I saw regarding Apex Legends was from who? Who do you... Okay, I, I have a question. This isn't in rhetorical. I want someone to answer this. Who do you think the first publisher or company involved in all of this proudly explained or exclaimed after Apex Legends had success? What company do you think it was? Just out of curiosity. Do you think it was Respawn? Of course they did, right? Respawn's the developers. Of course they're happy. Who hadn't said anything about the game previously? In fact, Respawn said themselves, EA was not involved with this game. It's EA. It's EA CEO. Exactly. Full of Dark said it himself. EA front and center had a giant press release 
Apex Legends, woohoo, it's doing great, guys. Like, they were so happy because that's the rebrand. Apex Legends is the rebrand for EA, right? And so, League of Legends, newer company, right? Riot Games, newer company. Tencent now, a little bit kind of mixed in there, but point being, newer, newer age company. Fortnite, a little bit of an anomaly because they almost became an accidental success. And then Dota 2, long-standing member of the community, but Valve. And Valve has always had a propensity to do sales, to do different types of way to buy their games that isn't just spending money on the game. Like, Valve has been open to different ways, right? What I'm trying to say here is that what you notice is that some of the, the games that are basically the most popular ones are the ones that have either changed the most and, and, and changed with the times. CSGO is a perfect example of that, I think, as well as uh, League of Legends and Dota. Um, but it's also the companies that are not trying to essentially overcharge their customer. I'm sorry, but if you're charging your customer a full price game and you want to sell them full price skins, I just think that that's just money hungry. Like, I don't see any other way around that. Same thing with day one DLCs. Like, if you're launching day one DLCs, there is no reason that you cannot put that in my game other than you just want me to pay for it extra, right? And people do, unfortunately, right? That's how the precedent gets created is, is unfortunately, some people do do it. They subject us to it. Um, but it's, it's interesting to, to observe, right? How on the surface level, we can just say, oh, it's because this game is more popular. It's because these games are more popular. But really, when we break it down to the nuts and bolts, why don't people want to spend $60 plus $20 more dollars? Right. Let's just let's just do some quick math and then I'll think I'll move on from this segment because uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the Activision Blizzard stuff quick. Let's do some quick math. Right. OK, so in order for me to have enjoyment playing Anthem, this is how much money on a bare minimum I should spend. That's for tax, right? 64.8 for the full price of the game plus tax. One skin, because why wouldn't I want a skin, right? That's just a reskin, by the way. I mean, it's just like a recolor, but let's say I want a skin. Because, I mean, who doesn't want a skin when they first play a game? $84.8. There's more, though, right? There's more money, theoretically speaking, because did I pre-order the game? Did I buy the Deluxe Edition? Did I buy Origin Access? If I wanted to pre-order the game or play Origin Access, I need an extra $5 plus the premium dollars, which is another $10 because $10, it's $15. The, the Origin Access premier, or premium version is $15. So essentially, if I wanted to play the game earlier with the skin, I'm already spending $100, right? I've already spent essentially $100. Sorry, my math is off card, or my math is weird, but it's not off. It, I got to the same point. I just, I forgot that it was 15 uh, in total, so I did it like 10 and 5. But um, yeah, so I just spent, in order for me to enjoy this game and play it early when everyone else is playing it, right, I have to spend $100. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty good business, huh? Instead of like the price point being $60, or in the case of, I think, companies like Activision or Blizzard, Activision, Blizzard, and uh, EA. Activision, Blizzard, and EA, they, um, I think that they're companies that they don't necessarily, I'm not saying they don't see the value of microtransactions, but they don't see a reason not to also charge full price for their games. What reason do they have to not do that yet? 
they've been doing it now for how many years? Like they've been doing the, what they've done with Anthem or similar to it now since Mass Effect Two. So, I mean, ten years, right? Maybe a little bit less. They've been releasing full price games with microtransactions, skins, more content, day one DLC. They've been doing that for like ten years, and. I'm going to sound like get off my lawn here, but to some extent, I am kind of like, what the hell took us so long <laughs> to have this kind of response? You know, like what took us so long Because they've been doing this for a minute. And that's why that's the only conceivable way I could think of why they would think that that business plan is better than having the free to play business plan. That's the only th thing I could think of, because once again, if any of you can show me the statistics of a pay-to-play game with skins performing better monetary than Apex Legends or Fortnite, I'm all ears. Or Dota or CSGO, can anyone show me that example? Like, show me an example of a game that's buy-to-play with microtransactions that performs better than any of these games that I mentioned. None of them do. It's because it isn't a better business model for attracting more players and making more money. But it is in the short term. And that's kind of my argument here is that I feel like with EA or Activision Blizzard, as long as they can make that money in the short term, as long as they can recoup, essentially, they can recoup and make as much profit off of it as they can as fast as possible. That seems to be what's most appealing to these companies. So they're not thinking like, hmm, I could have one customer and over the course of three years, he could spend $300 like a League of Legends customer or a Fortnite customer or an Apex Legends customer or a Dota customer or a CSGO customer, right? Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've played all of those games, and I can tell you how much I've spent in each of those games. So League, I've spent at least, like, $600 in that game. Um, Dota, and by the way, I played it for five, six years. So, is that bad? $100 each year? Not bad, right? For thousands of hours of enjoyment? That, I got my money's worth with that game. Dota, right? Like, same, same concept applies here. And I just, at the first glance, it's so easy to see it as, oh, these games are popular, these it's just the it's like the business model and then it just really begs the question like why does ea and activision blizzard keep doing this because as someone said in chat they're getting away with it that's why they keep doing it like if it looks like they're behind they are behind they're behind on the times here look at this i mean i i, I can't find any other easy example to show than basically what i've demonstrated right here the only thing i'll say that they're i'm not saying they're completely stuck in their ways because if you look at Blizzard, Blizzard itself has been willing to do that in the past. They have been willing to try free-to-play trials and, and free-to-play versions, but very kind of like playing with the edges. StarCraft II is the first time I've seen Blizzard actually do free-to-play and do it like good. StarCraft II free-to-play is very, very well done and very, very fair business model. I don't think that had anything to do with Activision. I'm sorry. I don't I just I don't know if that was Activision's idea. I think Blizzard figured that one out on their own. The game wasn't doing as well. They made it free to play. The game blew up since then. I I don't want to put that on um Activision. I'd rather put that on Blizzard that they are the ones that came up with that. But anyway, I've been a little bit all over the place, but I hope I made some sense to you guys about Anthem. All right. Speaking of Blizzard and Activision, we can go right into that topic. So Blizzard and Activision recently had some massive layoffs. And I mean, what a surprise, a company that is stuck behind in terms of their business model 
is not doing so well, right? Now, Blizzard has a bunch of other reasons why they're not doing so well. Most importantly being BFA had a pretty rocky start, and WoW in general lost a big portion of its audience following BFA's uh, failures. That's a big part of it. Um, the other thing is they've lost stock as well as uh, approval and just general support from their audience because of the whole you don't really want WoW Classic thing, don't you have phones, um, it's not about RNG, it's about ease of access or like the other dumb shit that I've I've heard you know from Blizzard before where it's like they'll say shit like, oh, like we took out the um, the honor merchant because it was just there's too many currencies. It's like, why didn't you just make it one currency then? Like, the currency isn't the problem. The problem is now it's all hidden behind a random progression pay, you know, paywall, essentially, or time wall, depending, grind wall, whatever you want to call it. Because at least WoW doesn't do paywalls. They do grind walls. Well, actually, it depends on how you look at it, because if you're playing the game for months before they do release certain content, you kind of are. <laughs> kind of are playing a in-process uh, thing. <laughs> Ion said that they removed PvP vendors because people couldn't find them. I've heard that one. I've also heard that there was too many currencies. So, like, it's basically every answer I've ever heard for why they removed PvP vendors has always been like farcical. It's always been so absurd. Anyway, Acti Activision Blizzard to read the article on screen. Let's get into that. Activision Bl Blizzard had roughly 9,600 employees. That's a lot of people. And they cut 8% of its staff. 8% of its staff, that's a trimming, right? Anyone who works in business knows. That's what you call a trimming of the fat. That's a company that needs to get leaner in order to maximize their profits. And, and that's been proven, of course. I have a little bit of gift of hindsight because we know after the fact, um, on an earnings call, it actually says it right here. I'm glad I didn't have to find the article. On the earnings call, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick told investors that the company had once again achieved record results in 2018 but that company would be consolidating and restructuring because of missed expectations for 2018 and lowered expectations for 2019. The company said it would be cutting mainly non-game development departments and bolstering its development staff for franchises like Call of Duty and Diablo. I've also heard that Diablo said that there will be, or sorry, Diablo, <laughs> Blizzard said that there would be no new, uh, actually Activision said it, but Activision said that there will be no new Blizzard games this year. That's, that's what they've said, right? So, is this because they, they know that they're working on some games now and they're going to have a slow year because of that? Is it just because they're just doing worse across the, the board, right? Call of Duty is failing. Um, unfortunately, it's not doing as well. Black Ops isn't doing as well. Um, obviously, we mentioned uh, WoW not doing as well. Their stock not doing as well. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, oh, it's also affecting Activision Publishing, Blizzard King, and then... a. Apparently another studio named High Moon, which I'm not entirely familiar with. Anyway, like these types of trimming of the fat, like 800 people sounds like an insane amount of people. And it is. When you think about it from the context of that, that's 800 people without a job. Right? That's 800 human beings. Like, you have to have the empathy for 800 people. But for a company like Activision Blizzard, people were asking I saw around the web, like, why are they celebrating this? Well, it's because it's good for business. Like doing an 8% cut might seem like, oh, the company is going to fail right now. 
these large companies do this all the time. Like these large companies, like whenever they start to have to restructure, they they will have big layoffs, 300, 400, sometimes 500 people. Sometimes they'll lay off entire departments. Sometimes they'll shut down entire companies, right? In big business, this happens like pretty regularly. So when I saw kind of people's response about that, I felt for them because I could see the human element and they really care about these people. And that to me, of course, matters. Like I I don't want these people to be out of a job. I want them to have a job. But at the same time, from Activision Blizzard's perspective, it's it's just unfortunately, and this is going to sound mean, but that big corporation, they're, they're not thinking about the individual, right? They're just thinking about what do we need to do to keep our doors open and and apparently operating at maximum profit capacity, right? Or revenue capacity. Apparently that's, you know, where they're at right now. It It's interesting because no matter how you slice it, Activision is a huge, massive company that's had some huge influence, as has Blizzard. But Blizzard didn't, like, you can't compare the two companies together, right? Even in their heyday, Activision was never quite looked at with the same love that Blizzard was. Blizzard now, because they're essentially owned by Activision, right? They're in a position where I don't really. I'm not, I'm not convinced they really have a whole lot of say. This, and this has basically been confirmed by well, Jason Schreier himself. Like he said that they've been trying to cut costs. Um, it was already planned. They weren't. They were going to try and release more games, but apparently that's not going to happen this year. They they felt that they needed to make big changes. But why not? I don't know. Like this. Let's go full screen for this because I know I'm going to ask like the Captain Obvious question. But why not? Listen to your fans. Like, why not say, okay, we messed up with BFA. How do we make it right? Why don't they do that? You might ask, a corporation would never. Nintendo does it. Why do Japanese companies do it? Why can Square Enix do it? Why can Square Enix literally have a lead developer come on the stage and, like, cry? He's like on the stage crying because he loves his game so much and he wants it to do well. He was willing to reboot Final Fantasy XIV because he knew it failed. Like the, the first one failed, 1.0 failed, right? Like when I read that and, and, and covered that story, it was just so interesting to see because it's like, could you ever imagine that being anywhere close to the same? And yes, somebody did point out, uh, Oddboss says that it's a cultural thing, likely. But I also agree with full of dark here. I think it's long-term thinking. And sorry, you know, I think the Asian um, gaming market has proven that they think a little bit more about the long-term than maybe the Western market. And I mean, what better example than Lineage? Lineage right now... Lineage 1 has existed for... 21 years. 21 years Lineage has existed. It's one of the oldest MMOs and one of the oldest um, subscription-based MMOs that still exists to this day. In 2012, or sorry, in 2013, um, Lineage made, and, and all of its money made from sales, like I mean, meaning from its inception to, to that point in November 2013, it was reported to have made $1.8 billion. 
So even if we just divide that, right? Like 1.8 divided by how many years is that? 19? 0.1 essentially, right? That's just, that's insane to think about. Like that's the, well, first let's add our zeros here. So that's like 900 something thousand, or is it 9 million a year? I think that's, is that nine? No, it's 19 years. Or did I say 18? I can't remember. Yeah, I was, I was about right. My math is a little bit off, as you can tell here. But give or take, it's about 9 million a year or something like that. Um, that's a lot of money, right? That's an old game. 19-year-old game. Still in 2018, 2019 is one of the highest grossing MMOs and one of the highest grossing... Um, one of the highest grossing uh, uh, games, period, right? Like this, this old 19 year old game can still make $99 million a year. Well, sorry, I, again, my math's a little bit off, but it's like, it's like one oh something point whatever. But it can make almost over 100 million every year. And is it because the game looks great? I mean, well, let's answer that question. That's, those are the newer ones. Here, this is how lineage looks. This is the same exact style of game that I played when I played this game called Dark Eden. Exact same style. It was basically like a lineage clone. I never realized that looking back. It was like a Diablo lineage clone. But um, this is how the game looks. You want to see gameplay? Check this out. And you'll see, you guys will see why I'm, I'm showing you this in a second. It's, it's for perspective, right? I just want lineage one. I want all these other lineage. Okay. Here's a guy playing a lineage private server. No, not Joe Rogan. Uh, skip ahead. I don't know why this video doesn't want to load up. This is the gameplay, <clears throat> right? How is it that this old looking game still works? It's because of their culture, right? In Korea, this game is the biggest, like it's, it's one of the biggest games. It's the biggest MMO last time I checked, like a couple of years ago. I think Blade and Soul, um, it eclipsed it a couple of times as did Ion one or two years, but ultimately speaking, Lineage does like the best, right? For Korean MMOs. It's such, it's such a simple and old game, but it's like the reason why it still works and it still is played today is that they never abandoned the game. They kept adding more content. They never abandoned it, even when the population dropped at its lowest points. They never stopped. They kept going. And so the game had weird like revivals at times where it would do really well again, even after a long time of not doing well. And again, it's just, you have this like guaranteed product, you know what you're going to get. And you know that when you spend your subscription to play Lineage 1, because it is a subscription-based game, it's not a free-to-play game. It's not, it doesn't have microtransaction, at least it didn't before. Things might have changed now, because it's been a minute since I followed it, but unless they changed it in the past couple of years, right? 
people know what they're gonna get and it's just <laughs> this guy just died <laughs> this guy in the video just died but um i just think that that's such a clear example of the differences between these cultures right when you see square enix you know completely able or willing to reboot a whole mmo and you see lineage has existed and still gets new content 19 years later final fantasy 11 has existed now for what um 15 years it has new expansions all the time right and that's the big difference you notice in the korean market and japanese market is that they don't just give up on their games and they're also a lot more willing to accept humility and show or sorry accept criticism and show humility so when you have nintendo who was developing metro prime recently and essentially came on stage and said look we got to start over <laughs> i mean that's basically what they said right what other corporation of the size of nintendo does that right like or like square enix's size like nate like does ea ever do that activision ever do that get up there and just say hey guys we totally messed up totally sorry i'm sorry cry like like literally cry because you're so sad that your game is not doing as well as it should right because you care so much about it i don't see any of that with like ea activision or blizzard and it's um i think it shows it's like that's why these companies have to get these massive layoffs that's why they have to trim the fat it's why number people are numbers right it's why every major developer that worked on wow does no or no longer works at blizzard the, the, like the guys that I would argue are the most important developers that were involved in WoW no longer work for the company. They don't work for Blizzard anymore. In fact, one of them was a co-owner owner, and he doesn't even work for the company anymore. Or two of them, I think, were co-owners and they don't work for the company anymore. It's a different culture. Times are changing. And Activision Blizzard is essentially becoming the new EA or the next EA, uh, depending on how you see it. These layoffs suck and, you know, my heart and condolences go out to those who obviously lost their jobs. Let's, let's just stop, stop supporting this company. You know, like Activision Blizzard, unless they can prove to you that they care about you, the, 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 you know, the person buying their games, the consumer, the player, whatever you want to say, like until they can prove that they care about you or me, I don't think we should buy their games, right? And... How, I mean, how much effort is it really for Anthem to come out and be completely transparent, for example, about their pricing with their microtransactions? It doesn't take a lot of effort. Whenever they came out and were charging people $20 and then said, oh, well, you know, <laughs> sorry, the prices are subject to change. It's like, yeah, like, why didn't you have that conversation with us? Like, why didn't you just tell us before the game was coming out? Hey, like, what were you guys thinking of, you know, charging for microtransactions? People asked them ad nauseum, including content creators. What did they say to people like skill up essentially no comment they wouldn't answer that question why won't they answer such a simple question concerning their business model and the way that they're going to price their skins because they know that they're doing something fucking ethically wrong dude like they know they know that there's something in there that just makes them feel a little bit off about it they don't want that negative per, uh, perception from the public they don't want people to be like oh look at activision blizzard trying to sell us these skins again like no they don't want any of that Okay, fair enough. So then why not just talk to your audience and actually engage with your audience and, and be open with your audience, right? You're telling me right now that if the WoW team sat down on a live stream, everybody had their heads down and they said, look, guys, 
We wanted BFA to be the greatest expansion it could have been. And it didn't work. We're sorry about that. Here's where, where we failed and here's how we're going to improve. That's essentially all they would have to do in order to start to, again, I'm not saying it would fix it overnight, but that, that's what would start for them to build back up, right? That reputation is, is doing things like that, is showing that they can be vulnerable, showing that they can learn from mistakes and, 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 and whatever else, right? That's the only way you can reconvince your lost audience. I just, I don't see any of that from Activision Blizzard. So, you know what? Like, I just don't have a whole lot of desire in playing their games. But, um, I guess we'll see how that, unfo that unfolds. I haven't seen a whole lot of reason to play any of their games. You know, like, just ethically, business-wise, and even just as a regular consumer who wants my bang for my buck. I don't see a reason to go to Activision Blizzard. I don't think they give me good bang for my buck. But um, maybe, maybe WoW's a little bit of an exception depending on what version of WoW you play and what your desires are in WoW. Because there's a lot of content in that game. Like I, as much as I can shit talk WoW, as people who know me close, they know I don't really like World of Warcraft. Like, I, Have I ever told you guys that? Like, World of Warcraft for me, I, I'm sorry, it's never been my favorite game. In fact, I think it's extremely overrated. Extremely overrated. And I could tell you guys exactly how I think that. Right? I typically do explain to you what my problems with uh, WoW are. That being said, WoW's been a titan for a number of years. I, I came to grips with it, right? I learned about it. I learned why it worked. I learned the things that it did well. And I appreciate the things that it did well. I do. I appreciate the things that WoW did well. But it is crazy to think that 2019, the future is not clouded with, with WoW. And what I mean by that is that when I look ahead for what is going to be the market in five, ten years, I don't see WoW looming over everybody's head. And that's going to be an interesting world. I mean, when can we have ever said that? In the past, like, how many years now since WoW has been out? Since 2004, right? It's just, um, that's just crazy to me. Think about a future without WoW. Without WoW as the MMO, I should say. But also color me excited because that means the 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 winds of change is that, is that the song the the chimes of change or the winds of change are coming that's what I think for sure they're on their last decade I think Limpos the argument I made is perfect ethical argument like meaning I'm not saying it's like a perfect ethical argument but I'm saying it's it's perfect for making an ethical argument. And to explain what I mean, when you essentially are not willing to discuss with your customer or even engage with them when you're willingly, knowingly, and getting caught making mistakes or doing questionable things, by not apologizing or not addressing that, that's ethically wrong to me. Like, that is morally wrong. And also stupid. And also bad for business. <laughs> so, so like I can make a moral argument against them I can make a business argument against them I can make an artistic argument against them it is so easy to make arguments against these giant corporations it really is Activision Blizzard EA um, sometimes Ubisoft is up there too it's very easy to make arguments against these guys they do a lot of morally questionable shit they produce a lot of shit games and not just shit games but I mean shit games as in they they release games that are not just not necessarily good, 
but they're specifically designed in order to maximize the amount of money they make. So if you buy a game that's not good, when I was a young kid and I would rent a game that wasn't really the best game that I didn't necessarily like, I would take it back to Hollywood Video. I'd be like, man, this game wasn't too great, right? But I paid maybe five, six dollars or whatever for the rental. So it wasn't like I was out sixty dollars. The problem with like EA and Activision, and, and, and really I should say Activision Blizzard more so recently. The problem with um, these types of like developers is, or publishers rather, is they'll lo- they'll they'll sell you a sixty dollar game, you'll buy it, and you just don't know if it's worth sixty dollars. Like that that's, in my opinion, that's what's created this new narrative in the community of us starting to ask and really wonder, is this game worth the money? Like, I know worth a buy and people have been talking about these concepts forever. I mean, as a, a big general audience, you're seeing a lot more pushback about this kind of stuff because people are thinking, when does it stop? When do I stop spending more money? New expansion, I got to buy that. I got to buy another skin. I got to buy the season pass. Got to buy, all, you know, it's just... What is the ceiling or the, or the floor for how much money you need to spend in order to get the amount of enjoyment you need to? And that's the thing is just like, if you don't want to make moral arguments, that's totally fine. Like, don't, you don't have to worry about the moral parts. I have to worry about that because this is my job, right? So people are going to make moral arguments to me and ask me about moral arguments all the time, even though I'm not really a moralistic person. Like, I'm not really interested in the moral argument that much. I'm interested in, in specifically here, the logical argument. And to me, the logical argument is Activision Blizzard games are not worth the money that they cost. And they keep charging more and more money. It's like uh, Jim Sterling talks about it. And I think he puts it best as the Super Bunny Hop on his um, video concerning this topic. Is, is game prices or are game prices and development, is it increasing? Really? We used to think that, right? Just because, you know, why not? more time you spend more money but we're we're kind of getting to the point where we're just like these companies like ea a big culprit of it have so many loopholes to get around paying taxes in these different ways it's just (laughs) the lines have blurred i would say the rise of the net helping smell the bullshit these days i think that's a two-edged sword like a double-edged sword there is goodness from that, and obviously we've seen the badness. <laughs> no, we were definitely unsure, Limpos. When I say new narrative, the new narrative is that everybody is voicing it. I mean, feel free to go, like, don't take my word for it. Go watch a stream, watch the 16 videos talking about Anthem. Go watch the 100 article videos that Young Yeah put out, and whatever else, like, Go like go watch these like people in general, and I mean like general populace. There's a lot more pushback for this than there has ever been. I've never I've just never seen that before. I've never seen people really hold the knife to EA or Activision in this way. It's 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 refreshing to see. I don't know about you guys, but this is how it should always be, right? You should always be. Where is my money going? Is it worth my money? Right. Oh, we remember. <laughs> I remember movie license video games. I don't want to remember those. <laughs> I used to buy those, man. I had the X Men Wolverine game. I had the uh, what's that other movie game that I had? The the Lord of the Rings games. Those actually weren't that bad. To be fair, did anybody ever play the Lord of the Rings movie games? 
To be fair, yes, they were hack and slash boring games. They weren't that bad, though, right? I mean, am I crazy? I thought those were kind of fun. But yeah, they're, they're, they're lowest common denominator effort, for sure. I mean, it's just like run around and just endlessly fight orcs. Like, that's the whole thing of the game. Those Lord of the Ring games were good. I remember the X-Men Origins Wolverine game being better than the movie. <laughs> I, I remember that too, because you could jump and stealth attack people from the Wolverine game. That was actually a kind of cool aspect about it. It had like a stealth aspect to it. And yes, Batman, but it's kind of the exception to the rule. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of those, right? Lord of the Ring games were fun. Had a lot of moms, mobs on screen for PS2 era. I totally agree, especially um, remember... Um, the uh what's that one game it was the return of the king movie companion game and that last scene where you're fighting in front of um the gates of uh mordor and if you like i think get a special or something like that you could play as uh um faramir and he was like really powerful or whatever and uh or you could play as gandalf and yeah it was basically just like swing your sword as gandalf and like spin your staff around that was like the whole game and every now and then you could cast a spell or two. But I would always wonder to myself as a kid, which is totally tangential and like not related to anything, but this is how I like to do podcasts, by the way. I'm not... Um, uh, put it this way. My life is very regimented. My videos are very regimented. My thoughts are very regimented. But when I do a podcast, I'm just trying to enjoy myself, right? At the end of the day, I'm trying to enjoy myself and I want you guys to enjoy uh, that's why, like, if you ever notice that I don't have all the research ready, as people say, when it, like, I've seen that criticism levied before. Oh, like, you don't have all the articles and stuff ready or whatever else. Like, you, you have to look it up on screen. That's funny enough. That's actually kind of the point. Right? Like, I know it sounds strange to some people because they're just thinking about my normal product. But the point is, is that I want to demonstrate to people that you can think on your own. You can go figure things out. You can ask your friends questions. Like when Card told me that. The thing about Belgium and EA, right? That is what we're here for as a community. We can help each other. You guys can help me. When I say dumb shit, you can send me the article that proves me wrong. I do not care at all. And I do not take it as offense. Because I want to be right. Like, period. I don't want to be right. I want to be the right, right? But I'd rather people uh, tell me their perspective or show me where I'm wrong. And... um I, I thought about it for some time about doing more of a structured podcast, but I've always ended up coming back to the same idea of like, all my content is basically going to be like that. Like my video content, my produced video content that's, you know, et fully edited besides my like opinion pieces. Those are, to be honest, those aren't fully edited. Like they're not full production as we would describe. They're me editing it. And I'm a hobbyist in that sense. Like I don't edit professionally or that well. <laughs> so. When I edit my videos, it's, yeah, those are a little bit less produced. But ultimately speaking, the majority of my videos have 4,000 plus long scripts, bare minimum 4,000 plus long, average 8,000 plus long. So it takes a lot of research and a lot of time and effort to prepare that kind of content. But on a live stream, I don't have two weeks or a week to spend to figure these topics out, right? And that's kind of the alluring thing to me about having this discussion on a podcast is that... If I'm wrong about something, it's totally fine because somebody can correct me and then I'll admit whatever fault. What's wrong about being misinformed 
is being misinformed and not trying to educate yourself, right? That's the problem. The problem is is spouting misinformation with no desire or intention to actually say the right thing. So when I'm just like saying complete utter nonsense, yeah, you know, don't listen to me, right? If I, <laughs> sorry, but as much as uh, turning the frogs gay is a funny plot line, I mean, listening to that kind of thing is just, it's funny and absurd, but it's obviously just absurd. Like it's it's totally <laughs> crazy. There's no like um, the two we- two weeks of research into this game. Here are all of the reasons it failed. It's like no, this is off the cuff. This is from me. This is from uh, as some people would say, this is from the heart, right? We have rule four on Discord for a reason. That's true. And for those who don't know, our rules are very simple on my Discord. No discrimination or hate speech. And by the way, these are no exceptions, basically. You're always going to get warned if you, if you do one of these unless we talk about it internally. First rule, no discrimination or hate speech, right? No affiliation links that do not belong to Nerdslayer. That was Card's idea. It's a good idea, but that was Card's idea for the record. <laughs> no political religious talk or debate. We all talked about that one. Card, me, Ludens, and Anbu. We all talked about that one, and we all agreed that it's just too much moderation to deal with. I told them straight up. I was like, you guys want to moderate it? They said no. So well, am I going to force them to? I don't want that discussion about politics or whatever else either because then I have to deal with it. <laughs> so really, it's just been easier to implement rule three. Rule four, though, is probably the rule that's probably the most unique to my channel or my community. And I, I, that's why I wanted to say it on stream right now. Any points that you make have to be substantiated, either in explaining your opinion or when stating facts you need to back these up with reliable sources. Meaning, on my Discord, you will get warned if you say this. EA is stealing everybody's money. Okay. So explain the premise. How is EA stealing everybody's money? Just because, like, they got caught stealing everyone's money. Okay. Show me the, show me the evidence to, to, to prove that EA stole all the money right? Because otherwise, I can't have a discussion with this person. That's why this rule exists. It's not just to be like, hmm, intellectual type. Yes. It, it's not to be pompous or be whatever else. It's so we can actually like have a discussion, right? Because if somebody shows up and is like, actually, the science says this, uh, you wearing a black shirt means that you're, you're gay. You're going to turn gay. It's like, I mean, I don't believe him, right? Because I don't think that I'm gay. Not completely. But I don't think that I'm that. So I'm like, well, I disagree. Like, I don't think this is going to turn me gay. Can you provide the evidence to show me that it's going to turn me gay? And if the person doesn't provide evidence, then I discard it, right? Because why would I take it seriously? <laughs> Otherwise, anybody could say anything about anything, right? So I have to pay attention to where, like, okay, where does this come from? What's the source for this? However, the exception to that is if you state that something is your opinion. <laughs> and that's what cracks me up about this is people are like, man, I, like, I don't have all the facts. I don't have all the evidence. Like, I can't have this discussion with you because you have all the facts. It's like, no, I mean, no, I, first off, no, I don't. I looked all this shit up. Like, I'm not, I'm not an encyclopedia or a robot. Like, I don't have the program into my mind, like, searching database. I looked all this stuff up. At one point, I didn't know, just like everybody else. At one point, I didn't know. But how did I learn? By knowing that I didn't know. So by telling people this is my opinion, that forces you to be like, it's my opinion, but I wonder how right this is, right? That's essentially what the Death of a Game series was for me, was hmm, I have opinions about these MMOs and these games, 
do they match reality? The Galaxies video is especially like that for me because it's a particular video. Sorry, I made it counterpoint. I didn't mean to make a counterpoint. I don't know why it changed. Initiate, initiate death of a game sequence, loading up database of all MMO knowledge. <laughs> I, I know it's cool to think that. And, and look, I'll be the first to say it's good for marketing. It's good for marketing and it's good for my checkbook that you guys think that I'm a wizard. Like, okay, I'm about to say some shit that makes me a horrible businessman. You ready? And I know this, but this is because I have principles. Okay. And these principles are essentially all you have in life. But <laughs> this is so stupid to admit, but... If I created a tribe environment around my community and made it more elitist, I would make more money, I would have a bigger audience, and I would have a bigger fan base. So like, I would have more like loyal fans. You might ask the question, so why don't you do that? Why don't you just incite this like, you know, tribal kind of aspect and like create this channel? It's because I don't want people to blindly support me. That's why. Do you, see, do you see the juxtaposition that I'm in as somebody who's a content creator who's trying to build his audience, do this as my life and career, and also uh, reach more people out there? It, it's a little bit. It's it's a little bit difficult to like just have people support me just because they like me, right? I don't like that. Like I've never liked that since I was a young kid. I'd rather someone hate me, but at least respect my opinion, right? I'd rather someone agree to disagree with me. Than just like me because they feel that hmm, you think this way or I don't want to go against you. So I'm just going to kind of say whatever you think. I'm not that way at all. Like I've always been like I want people to explain to me what they mean. Like what I want to explain what I mean, you know, because I don't, I don't want people to misinterpret me. And I don't want to misinterpret other people. And I also don't want to be wrong just as other people don't want to be wrong. So the idea is that when we have conversations where we both know that we don't know. It's okay, right? Because we're just shooting the shit, right? Like, we both know that we're idiots, essentially. <laughs> like, in that context, right? If we don't know something. Like, I don't know shit about balloon therapy or, or freaking ac acupuncture. I don't, I don't know shit about those. Acupuncture, I think is how you pronounce that. Acupuncture. I don't know anything about those. I, I know it's like something about needles and you stick it in people. So, with you guys, I can have that conversation. That's fun and that's entertaining. But am I going to create a 40-minute long video where I'm like, acupuncture, I mean, like... I don't really know about it, but like, basically it's like this, that, and this It's like, no, I'm going to take the time to go through the whole process, learn what it is, explain it to the audience, explain why it's relevant, why it isn't relevant. What are the good things about it? What are the bad things about it? There's a lot more that goes into it. And I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that what works on YouTube is tribalism. It, it's always been a huge thing in society, right? I know guys or people out there who get tired of the whole tribalistic thing around you. You feel like I'm tired of this. Everybody has to be part of one team or one tribe. It's, it's human nature in, in, in a certain extent, right? Like we kind of are tribalistic, right? We want to be parts of tribes and things. It's just that I've never been that person. I've never been the tribe person. I'm trying to create a tribe here, but I'm trying to create a, a tribe, as we said last time, of misfit toys, okay? That's, that's what my tribe is. <laughs> it's the misfit toys who looked weird, felt weird, or whatever else, but above all else, they just wanted to learn. That's what I think about, like, the ideal fan or viewer for me is just somebody who wants to learn. Like if you could tell me, you could in a lab create the perfect viewer or person to watch your content. I would create someone that would be willing to disagree with me first off. And that person first and foremost would just have a strong desire to understand and learn. 
right? That's it, man. It's just about learning. Like, at the end of the day, this is all about learning, right? Learning how to not make the same mistakes again. Okay, you bought Anthem, and you're mad about it. I understand. I've bought bad games. I've been mad about buying bad games. That's okay. If you can't refund it, that sucks, right? But okay. You live with it. You play the game. But don't have to make the same choice again, right? And what I mean by that is that I'm not just saying at the point of purchase. If the only decision making that you're making is at point of purchase, you're a mark, right? You're a mark. You're being taken advantage of. Because if you think that subconsciously you haven't already made a decision, sorry to tell you guys, your brain does things that you don't necessarily know or think consciously about, right? So marketing works, advertisement works, and we get tricked and, and, and essentially convinced into buying things. And then we kind of see, you know what, this isn't for us. I don't like this thing. I don't want this thing in the future. So how do you learn from a bad purchase? Well, education. Why was it a bad purchase? Was it a bad purchase because I didn't get my money's worth? Was it a bad purchase because I don't support the company? Was it a bad game? What particular reason? If it's just a bad game and it complete, like you look back at the reviews and at, and at everything else when you're trying to be as objective as possible, if you ultimately feel for you, and again, I know my process sounds totally robotic, but I, this is how it works for me. If you feel that you just think that the game is not good, okay, that's okay. People, people can make mistakes, right? When you feel like you didn't know that the game was bad, but it's just like your personal preference, so it's not for you necessarily, that's not as bad, right? When something's objectively bad and you fall for it, that to me is the worst case scenario, right? And that was sort of my issue with um, Bless Online and some of these other games. Is, I mean, I don't like this rhetoric that you only can play a game to understand it. Can we, can we erase this, like, idea that you only need to play a game? Like, let me, let me explain this premise. In fact, I'll, I'll jump over to um, the soapbox segment just for this particular moment. Okay, what were we about to go into? Sorry, I, I typically will forget sometimes whenever I change um, gears really quickly. What was I about to preach? Hey, look on the bright side, you get to be the thief. Oh, ah, thank you, McSackerson. <laughs> no, like legitimately, like you guys think I'm crazy. But I, I, like, I, I always forget. I always forget what I'm saying sometimes. I don't, I think if I if I select it and I roll my mouse button, it might switch the image. Cuz I could have swore I just switched it again to from the vault. Okay. The rhetoric that says you just have to play a game to understand it is so incredibly simplistic that it just it's so frustrating when somebody says that to me. And I'll tell you why. Okay. There is a guy named. Uh, let me look him up. So I don't misquote his name. Well, we're going to talk about chess today. You guys like chess or know a little bit about chess? Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about chess. And bear with me. It won't be long. It's just a quick example. All right. On screen, here's the premise Josh Waitskin, Joshua Waitskin, one of the youngest. Uh, champions of all time, only beaten by Magnus Carlsen since then. Go Sweden. Um, but 
Josh Waitzkin was a boy wonder, child, you know, chess prodigy. Great story. If you haven't seen Searching for Bobby Fischer, please watch it. Even if you don't like chess, it's a, it's a cool story. There's a lot to learn from it. Anyway, this guy is a beast. At, or sorry, was a beast at chess, right? Even at a young age, at age, I think when he won his championship, or no, he became, was it 16? I think he won a national championship when he was like nine, and then he won, or then he became an IM when he was 16. I think that's how it was. Anyway, point being is like when he was nine, I think if I remember correctly, <laughs> let's, let's Google it. Josh Waitzkin, age nine, ELO. I used to know this off the top of my head, by the way, because I played Chess Master all the time. If you guys ever played the, the game Chess Master online, it's a really cool game that teaches you how to play chess, but also teaches you the historicalness of certain chess matches. I can't find it, but basically, when, when Waitzkin was nine, he was already higher ranked than I am. <laughs> Just for reference, <laughs> he, he was already ranked higher than me, <laughs> like Eolo wise. Um, now, you know, in my older age, I can get to like 1500, maybe 1600 ELO now. So I can beat his nine-year-old self, at least. But could I beat him at age 11? No, he would, he would cream me. Anyway, totally unrelated. But now to make it related to the story that I was telling about why just playing something isn't enough that, to know or understand it. it that's silly to, to imply that only playing it is all you need to do. Pandolfini, Bruce Pandolfini, a.k.a. chess book author, coach as well as previous player or competitor. He found Waitskin in New York, and the hard thing for Bruce was that he wanted to teach Waitskin, but Waitskin was this young kid who essentially was a genius, right? So he could already beat Pandolfini without actually listening to him. So like, it was one of those things where he was like, why would I listen to you <laughs> when I can already kind of beat you? Like, I'm already better than you. But, of course, he wasn't beating him at first. He was losing at first, badly. But he was losing badly at first because of, like, very particular mistakes that he was making. And so the idea is that when, when Josh Waitzkin's skill level eclipsed uh, Pandolfini, was it because Pandolfini wasn't playing the game? No. It's because Waitzkin was a better player and he understood it better, but also because Pandolfini might not have been the best player? But he was a damn good coach. And, that, and that's the number one way to easily diffuse any of that. You only need to play a game to understand it. Is that there's analysts who never play sports. They know a lot. I, I watch guys who, who cover MMA who don't train at all. And when I listen to them, they know a lot about it. They know a lot about martial arts. So don't be so quick to dismiss somebody's opinion just because they haven't played the game. But that being said... If somebody says the game sucks and you ask them if they played the game and they immediately say no, you should be skeptical. Okay, well, how do you know the game sucks? If they respond with blah, 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 here's my reasoning and you believe that's adequate, well then, I mean, there you go, right? Like, it, Point being is that <laughs> just because somebody is playing a game doesn't automatically mean they have some deep understanding of it. Like that, That's what drives me crazy about Either you get the kind of rhetoric where people say, oh, you got to play the game 5 billion hours to understand it. So like your 100 hour review is, is chump change. Either they make that rhetoric or the opposite rhetoric where it's just like, uh, oh, you haven't put enough hours into this yet. 
right? But you have to put more hours into it. Yeah, I mean, this is like sports. I, I agree with you, Limpos. Trainers are rarely ever the highest ranked players. Well, I'll, I'll explain this to you again. I'll make it uh, simpler if I can. The concept is that, or the question is, do you need to play a game in order to understand it? Answer, no, because it's been proven. Like, there's so many people who do not play games who can understand it, right? Tons of people watch League of Legends and don't play the game anymore. T tons of people um, study football and watch football and talk about football. Are they playing backyard football? No. Not NFL commentators don't play football anymore. <laughs> like, maybe basketball. Maybe the basketball players still play basketball because it's a little bit different, right? You can just play at the backyard out there, like, you know, wherever you got a, a somewhere to hoop. But, a, you know, in a football game, those dudes aren't playing and, and suiting up the pads or whatever, like, every single day and, and playing. And uh, also, you know, there's very famous casters who never played professionally, right? There are very famous people who, uh, who cover football who never played professionally. So how do they know so much about it? Because they study it, right? And so <laughs> this is my long-winded way of saying TLDR. You don't need to play something to understand it. You need to study it to understand it. But here's the caveat. Playing it is the easiest way to study it. <laughs> so, so I know I, I kind of seemed like I was going one direction and then I kind of switched on y'all. But it's because like the idea here is that the coach is not always the best player, right? He's not. But it's because he studies the game. So he has a different view. He's looking at the game from a down, you know, a macro perspective. He's not in the thick of it as much. And that's actually good. That's good in some cases. Sometimes you don't want a fierce competitor to be your coach because they're focused on themselves, right? They're focused on winning. They're focused on their own game. They're not going to help you get better, really. You need somebody who cares that much about your ability to get better. And I'm talking about a general coach relationship. To bring it back to gaming, <laughs> to, to tie it all together in a knot, anybody can play a game. But not everybody can analyze a game. Anybody can, can pick up a controller and start playing a game. But can they really understand the game? Right? No, not everyone can understand it just because they play it. And that's why it seems semantical. But I don't like when people say, oh, Nerd Slayer, on Marvel Heroes, it didn't seem like you played this game. It's like, I didn't because I thought it was a shit game. Like, why would I intentionally play a game that I thought was shit? Like... There's no reason for me like, to, to play Marvel Heroes at any point. I watched it throughout its development. I studied it. I did all the research. I read all the reviews. I studied all of the reviews. I studied all of the analysis, all of the uh, impressions, all of the um, negative reviews. Like, like not that all of them. I'm saying like critically speaking or the general negative reviews, right? So there's more ways to analyze things except just playing the thing. So it's like, yeah, there are games that I have covered on the Death of a Game series that I didn't play that much. I think Marvel Heroes, like, I couldn't even tell you if I played longer than 10 minutes, right? Because I didn't like the game. And I had tons of reasons why I didn't like the game, as I, you know, carefully outlined in the video. But somebody brought up something interesting to me. They were like, well, you can't talk about Black Desert Online's gameplay. You got to at least put, like, you know, 500 hours into the game. And I was just like... No, I don't. Why do I need to put 500 hours? What's your argument? That by putting 500 hours, I will somehow realize that the game has no fault? 
That's not how that works, right? More time with something doesn't tell you that there's less problems unless you're crazy. It tells you that there's more problems because you become aware to the problems that maybe you didn't notice necessarily before. If anything, if you guys talk to me after 500 hours of Black Desert Online played <laughs> with my perception of the game already, first off, I'd probably be dead. I probably would have you know, sudoku myself at some point because I, I'm sorry. I don't like to play things I don't want to play. Maybe I'm weird in that way, but I don't. If I, if I see no conceit, I know what I like. Let me put it that way. This might sound strange to people who don't know what they like, but I know what kind of games I like. You know, and, and I talked to Card about this with Sci-Fi. He knows what kind of things he likes. People who've had time to really pursue their passion and hobby, they kind of know what they like, right? Like people, ultimately, we can kind of know what we like without having, like, for example, it's not nice for me to stick my finger in between these springs on my little grip trainer and squeeze it onto my finger. You see how it turns red? It hurts. I didn't need to do that to know that. The logic tells me that, right? Observing it and analyzing this tells me, hmm, if I stick my finger in there, it's going to hurt. What I hate a lot about gamers is they, they constantly repeat this rhetoric that, oh, you can only play the game to know it's bad. That's the only way you can know if it's bad. That's the only way you can understand the game. It is not the only way. It isn't. How do you expect? Okay, great story. And I know you know the story, Limpos, um, possibly. Or no, Ludens knows the story for sure. Um, as does like Dynamics and a couple of the other guys who like basketball. Tim Duncan comes from an island, right? I don't want to quote exactly because I'm not exactly sure which island he comes from. Wow, I just spelled Tim Duncan's name wrong. That's embarrassing. Okay, Tim Duncan is from the Virgin Islands. Tim Duncan, here's the story, and most people who follow basketball know the story. And you're probably wondering, why is he bringing up basketball again? I'm, I'll tie it together. Tim Duncan is consensus one of the best basketball players of all time. You know how he used to practice uh, basketball back on his island? Like back on, on the, you know, in the Virgin Islands? Do you guys have any guess like how he would, how would someone who's poor and lives on an island practice basketball? He got a peach basket and shot a ball through it, like a soccer ball through it. That's the story. That's how he got good first, right? That was all he had in order to get good was like a, a super small you know, amount of the tools that he needed, right? Like he, he, he needed, he didn't even have a basketball. He didn't even know how to dribble. He didn't even have a court. He didn't have a nice net with a backboard. He just had like a peach basket and he just threw the ball up into the peach basket. That's how he kind of learned how to play. <laughs> so like, this is just, um... I, it always cracks me up when gamers, for some reason, gamers are more so, we have that mentality, that more so elitist mentality where you need to have been in the thick of it for us to really respect you. I feel that way with, um, with different MMOs, especially. I, I got that way with EverQuest. Like, the EverQuest 2 audience didn't really like my video as much because in their eyes, they didn't see EverQuest 2 as an answer to WoW. They saw it as like a continuation that then became an answer to WoW. Where, I mean, the timeline doesn't really like confirm that or back that up, but I see their perspective because the game was different at first. And I didn't really outline that. So you see how sometimes when you talk about game details, when you don't have as much experience as somebody else, say for example, an EverQuest 2 player who played at launch, I didn't play at launch. He has that knowledge that I don't have. You see why I don't 
try and make my videos too much about the game in specific details. Actually, I'll answer that question right now. We're, we got the soapbox. So let's make this simple. Um, sorry, I, I forgot to mention to everybody at the end of chat. Of course, we have the uh, question segment. You can ask me a question, whatever you want. Um, podcast lobby in the Discord. It's, uh, it's www.discord.gg slash nerdslayer for the link if you aren't already in my Discord. And then you can just at me in chat and um, I'll get to your questions by the end. Hard is in the podcast lobby. Just holler at him and actually don't literally holler at him. Uh, <laughs> ask him if you have a question that you'd like to cue for me. Anyway, um, in particular, should we play bad barebone games and we've become good at games? Well, the good thing is, is that we don't have to, right, Lempos? Like, I mean, we, you and I grew up in the age of demos. So what was the easiest way to know not to buy something? A demo. I don't know about you guys, but I would say that I was almost completely, completely reliant on the fact that a game had a demo back in the day. Because there wasn't like, I wasn't reading IGN or like watching game trailers like when I was really young. Like that shit didn't really exist back then. It was all about getting those demo discs. You got to get those demo discs. And then you play the game. You're like, man, this game is awesome. I'm going to go buy this game now. That's, I miss that aspect of gaming because it, it allowed you as the consumer to have more leeway to make mistakes, right? Now I understand. It's like some people with MMOs, they won't even try because they're tired of all of the failing and this one's not good. It promises all of this. Some people are just burnt out, period, from the MMO market. That's why I think right now we're like... The remnants of our market is all over the place. It's in the MOBA community. It's in the shooter community. It's in a Battle Royale community. I mean, I've seen MMO players in just about every other game except, you know, some MMOs. <laughs> the, the majority of our audience kind of left for other things or whatever else. Uh, was that XCOM? Or XOM uh, demos were awesome. I loved the uh, PS1 demos where you'd have the disc and it had like four games on it, but it was like four like little demos of each game. It'd be like um, Horizon, sorry, uh, Forza Horizon uh, or Gran Turismo. Um, it, then it'd also be like Resident Evil, whatever, followed by some random kid game. You know, I don't even remember what games, what demo kid games they'd put on there, but there was one that was made by Ravensoft. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to look that up because that'll drive me crazy. It's a pretty famous game, so I'm sure you guys have heard of the game. Um, it was a P it was a PS one game. I have to find this. It was the one where you played as a uh, a skeleton, and it was kind of like an action game where you kind of walked around. And fought other skeletons and shit. I think I thought Raven Software was the one that did that game. I don't think it was that one. Anyway, I can't remember what the hell it was named. I wouldn't say you need to play a game to understand it, but sometimes it's easier to experience it to understand it. You have played many games, so it's easier. Okay, that, you know what? That's actually a really good point. Um, I'm glad you said that. You see, this is why I love you guys. This is why I rely on you guys to help me. It's like, you guys can, can make me realize that I didn't explain something as well by, by having a conversation with me. So like um, what Mick Sackerson said, which I, I totally agree with, is that I wouldn't say you need to play a game to understand it, but sometimes it's easier to experience it to understand it. You have played many games, so it's easier for you to understand how different mechanics play out. But there are people who do not have that experience. 
Do you think that a person whose only MMO is WoW could understand why people enjoy Darkfall? It's a really good point, McSackerson. That's that's essentially like what you would describe as as context or like perspective, right? And I lack perspective in that way. You're absolutely correct that when I see MMOs, and by the way, this is not the coolest thing, but you guys see MMOs and you're like, not all of you. Some of you guys are more pessimistic than me, okay? But some of you guys, uh, I'll talk about Earthworm Jim, one of my longtime supporters and followers of the channel, um, asked me a question and he was asking me, he's like, I haven't seen you mention New World or mention uh, Conqueror's Blade or mention, um, in fact, I'll, Move to the MMOs on the go segment. What a transition. Transition, transition. <clears throat> we only have a little bit of things to talk about MMOs um, today, so I'm not going to go for too long talking about that. Anyway, when you think about when you learn something and you've done it a lot, a lot, you start to notice patterns, okay? So like, let's say, I don't know, you're a mechanic. After a while, you notice that a lot of people don't change their spark plugs, or their spark plugs, right? They always have messed up spark plugs. Or that people usually think the battery is the problem, but sometimes it's the thing that charges the battery. I can't remember the, the name of it off the top of my head. Right? I know, sorry, my mechanic friends are probably like one of choke me to death but like <laughs> but uh point being like you <laughs> there you go Limpos. you guys know when you look at a car just by looking at it you know or, or by, by looking at a machine then sorry by looking at a piece of machinery you can kind of guess right because you've had so much familiarity with it you, you hear that dick 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 kind of click noise and you're like huh, something's stuck in the blah 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 right you have that kind of knowledge it's different for me, right? Because, like, I spent so much time playing many different MMOs. And you know what? Today will be my origin story of MMOs to some extent. I'll, I've never completely mentioned this before, but I will do it in a, um, a an illustrated thing. My artist will do an illustrated, like, my story at some point, so I don't have to that shit um, over and over again. But um, to, a little bit of backstory about MMOs. Essentially, the reason why I've played so many MMOs is that I couldn't afford a subscription as a kid. I mean, really, that's like the simplest answer. So how I used to play MMOs when I was young is I'd play trials, right? I'd play trials of MMOs, three weeks. I'd play free-to-play MMOs. I'd play Nine Dragons, Two Moons, um, Dakaru. Uh, what are some other uh, Asian games off the top of my head? Um, Archlord. Um... These are games that I know Germatu knows because he plays those games or has heard of those games. But a majority of you are just like, what the hell are you like, you know, uh, what's that thing? Um, damn it. Is it, is it Saya or, or Aya or what's that other, uh, what's that other Asian game? Um, I know you know it, Germatu. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But point being, many of these companies make kind of like similar games, free to play, Asian grind games. I played pretty much all of those games. Like, I didn't have money, right? Like, I was a young kid. I didn't have a credit card. My parents weren't going to, like, you know, let me, like, have a credit card to, to pay for a subscription. Like, that concept was unheard of for me. So the only way I could ever play games like Galaxies was by convincing um, someone that you could buy the time card. The time card is the only reason why I could play Galaxies. Because the other MMOs at the time didn't really have time cards, right? The ones that I was interested in. 
you had to pay with your credit card. So Galaxies sold the time cards at the at the at the um, Best Buy. So that's why I started playing uh, Galaxies primarily, as well as Guild Wars. Guild Wars was my first serious like you know MMO to play. I say serious because my first MMO technically was a chat site. Like it's kind of an MMO, but not really. But I would say Guild Wars was the first MMO I really played and just became addicted and engrossed to. Why? It's a buy to play game, right? It's a buy to play game. It's it's not a it doesn't have a, a subscription fee, so I didn't play a lot of the subscription based games when I was younger. I didn't play EverQuest when I was younger. I didn't play um well I did when I say I didn't play. Let me take that back. I've played every MMO you can think of that's popular. Every like if you go down the list of uh, MMORPG.com, pretty much every popular game that's ever had an audience, I've played it before. But what I mean by I didn't really play it is I mean I didn't really play it. Like I wasn't. I didn't hit max level. I didn't grind. I didn't create multiple characters. I didn't dedicate like part of my life to it like I did with Galaxies, like I did with Guild Wars, like I did with Warhammer Online, like I did with Swotor, like I did with Darkfall. Um, those are the biggest ones off the top of my head that I would say I've spent the most time playing. Uh, Global Agendas up there. Yeah, those are probably the main ones. But point being, I played so many MMOs because I didn't have the money. But then once I started getting older, what, what was weird to me is I didn't know why MMOs were becoming less fun to me. I never realized it, but it's just, I kept chasing the next MMO. I kept chasing the next experience. And I didn't know what I was chasing. That's why I kept playing so many different MMOs. That helped me, right? Because it helped me learn perspective and it helped me learn how different other games can be, but how same they are. And this is the darker part of the analysis part of life, not just in games. But when you become so into analyzing things, you notice all of the flaws. And when you notice the flaws, and then you play another game, and you notice the same flaws, you can become a little bit pessimistic. Because you're just like, I don't blame the MMO community when they're like, this is the same old, same old. I don't blame them at all because I feel the same way. It is the same old, same old. It is the same shit being re-released, essentially, with a new skin and a new IP. But I didn't know this when I was younger. I just played games and I was just constantly searching. I didn't know what I was searching for, right? But I was searching for that MMO experience I had, right? The finding my friends and meeting people and and... Being dedicated to a long-term progression, to a guild, feeling a part of something. All of those different things, right? And that's kind of the thing, of course, over time that became less and less prevalent in the MMO world. Anyway, that was just a little bit of story time for me. Oh, I saved it here, uh, Kaisa. So I, I plan on it. It's in my... Um, uh, soapbox segment that I kind of did earlier, but I'm doing the that question at the end. Or I might just do it on the MMOs on the go segment. I'll just do that just for um, it's easier to put it together. Scroll down here to get to what I was going to talk about. Basically put it this way. What McSackerson said is absolutely right. And funny enough, I noticed that in another thing. A little bit of story time here with you guys. I've never really talked about my training as a martial artist. And I think I'll do that today. So 
I, I like I went MMOs in the ghost segment. I'll move that out of the way just for a second, and then um, we can get to that. I never told you guys about martial arts, like my my affinity and my my love for martial arts. Anyone who follows my Instagram or even just knows me like a like at a close level, anything past just watching my videos, of course. I love martial arts, and people know that I do martial arts. Like I've mentioned it on chat, I mentioned it on stream, but I never really talked about it. So when I was young, I grew up in a neighborhood that I would describe as an ESL neighborhood. Um, that's because I'm Hispanic, despite looking white as hell. So I grew up as a white as hell looking uh, dude in an almost completely Hispanic neighborhood. And so I always felt kind of like I was like um, not I didn't belong. Right. Because, you know, just like that dumb kid shit you think about yourself when you're depressed and when you have trauma in your life, like. You, you just like, oh, I don't really belong because they, like, they're darker than me. And they say I'm white. So I guess I'm not really Hispanic, right? Now imagine, this sounds simple to some people, but imagine you're like a young kid. You grew up on the border of Mexico, which is Laredo, like the city of Laredo in Texas, which is right on the border of Nuevo Laredo, the Mexican border. That's where I grew up, right? So for me, it's just, I had people telling me like, oh, you're not Hispanic. So I was like, huh? Like, I had no, I had no idea that someone could think that because I'm like, but I mean, I grew up basically on the border. Like, what do you mean I'm not Hispanic? Like, my whole family is Hispanic. <laughs> like, like, it was um, lots of that type of stuff. Anyway, for me and and for my dad, it was always big about learning how to defend yourself because I felt like I was in a hostile area, right? Because I felt like people didn't accept me for who I was. So the number one thing that I didn't want to feel was the fear that I couldn't take care of myself. And I know for reference, many of you are like, take care of yourself from what? I'm from not the best neighborhood, okay? And so where I'm from, you do get beat up and you, you will get jumped. Um, that sort of thing kind of happens. So I, I learned martial arts because I'm a nerd. Let's be honest, dude. Martial artists? Like if someone says they're a martial artist, not a fighter, not that they train, but they, say, they said that they're a martial artist, it's keyword for nerd. So all martial artists are nerd, giant nerds, right? I was a giant nerd as a kid. So I did karate and taekwondo from age four to like, 13 or 14 and then I played sports and so like that young age I learned how to kick how to spinning back kick spinning heel kick I can do pretty much everything except for like at the moment with my injury I wouldn't do a tornado kick and I wouldn't do a jumping side kick right I could do all of those as a kid I mean my brother and I were already six feet when we were like 11 or 12 when we hit puberty young, so when we were 12 and 13, my brother and I were already the size of grown men. So we were already competing against bigger, stronger guys. You might be asking, how is this really relevant besides just story time? I'm going to tie it together to what we were talking about earlier, uh, about the point that McStackerson made. It was like between 15 and 21, or 20, or no, 21. So like almost like a five to six year period, I completely stopped doing martial arts. I completely stopped. Started playing high school football, basketball. That's like I, I didn't play. I didn't do any martial arts. I went back when I was 21, um, which was like four years ago, and started doing Muay Thai again. And I was shocked how much I remembered. I was shocked how I could still do pretty much all of the moves that I remembered as a kid. But of course I did. Or of course I could. Right? Because I grew up doing it my whole life. So... I already had this in my mind. I had the experience and I had the perspective. So to tie it together, 
when I went to to Muay Thai or I started jujitsu for the first time like last year, I did really well at first. And I was surprised by that because I've always been very hard on myself. So I was like, man, I, I'm doing kind of good. I thought, man, I'm just like a natural talent. No, I had all of those years ahead of me, right? I had I had the 10 years that I was training. <laughs> so it's not that I'm some child prodigy. It's that I did it my entire childhood. So of course I got good at it, right? And so sometimes we as people do forget our privileges in certain ways. We forget things that we've kind of had a lot of experience with and our perspective, it becomes harder for us to relate to other people. So I appreciate you guys helping me learn perspective and things because you guys do push me or do let me know, hey, I like this game or hey, I like this kind of thing. So don't just blanket say that people don't. And I appreciate that because sometimes your perspective is like the thing that fucks you over the most because it's like you just don't have a frame of reference for certain things sometimes. Like, uh, Americans are really bad at, at, at having perspective because we are essentially one giant country that's just, like, kind of operates on our own. Like, like yeah, we have Canada, but it's like, Canada's our hat, how Americans would say. Mexico, Mexico's our boot. Like, America's all about, it's the United States, right? In Europe, you can take a, a fucking train five, ten minutes, and you can get to, like, how many states? Or, sorry, how many countries? Like, 30 or some shit? Like... In 30 minutes, do you guys think that you could get to like, I don't know, 10 different countries in Europe? I, for sure, right? For sure, you could get to like 10 different countries in like 30 minutes to an hour. Because they're all so closely like, you know, bordering each other with completely different cultures. Like if you're going from uh, the Mediterranean to Norway or to Scandinavia, it's not that far at all, right? It, it, it's not far like conceptually. I know it's not like a car ride or whatever, but in America, we drive across the, the country all the time. Many of us do. For example, I've driven from uh, Seattle all the way to New York. That trip on a bus took me four days, right? Like imagine four days to get to the other side of the continent. Whereas there are people like my, uh, one of my female friends who lives in Switzerland who works for the UN she can hop on a train or a plane for $100 or less and get to just about any country around her. And so I think that's why us Americans kind of, we, it's not as easy for us to learn perspective in that sense because we, do, we, don't, we don't have as much exposure to that type of thing. To bring this back to MMOs though, if you've only ever played one kind of MMO, you don't really have a frame of reference for how the other MMOs work. I've always found it interesting whenever you have people who, who like, or WoW fanboys who say, PvP doesn't work in an MMO. It's like, the only frame of reference you have is an MMO that essentially killed its own PvP. So if that's your only perspective, then yeah, screw PvP, right? Screw all that shit. It's unbalanced. Arena killed open world. Mounts killed open world. Right, like, that's usually people's criticism. I mean, we're, it's, it, we're ranting. But we were talking about um, how easy it is in, in Europe to get to other countries, whereas in America, we don't have that same access. So Americans almost inherently have less perspective. They do. I'm sorry. That's just true. As an American, I can easily admit that. But that's kind of where MMOs have always been really cool with me, is that MMOs can teach you perspective like nothing else can. I mean, martial arts too, but MMOs can teach you perspective from a guy across the pond. 
that you would never have talked to in a normal situation. The, the point being is that when you look at martial arts or you look at anything that you do for a certain amount of time, five, six years, seven years, let's say you become pretty damn good at it. Even if you stop doing it and you go back to it, they're surprised how much you remember. And that's because the patterns never go away. Like once you see the patterns of things, you can't stop seeing them. Now, many of you are probably thinking I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean by patterns? Like, you sound like you're seeing things. I'll, t I'll tell you a simple example that unfortunately will ruin many of your experiences. But when you play an MMO in the future, or now, simple, simple example, simple uh, thing that any of you guys can do with any free-to-play game or whatever. It doesn't matter what MMO. You can do this with any MMO. Go into the MMO with the idea of I'm going to treat this game as it's a real world, right? That's what I want you guys to go in with. Go into an MMO with like, this is a world that was crafted. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this world seriously under its own premise, right? That's what, that's what fantasy is, essentially. It's fake, but it's like fake within its realm. Go into an MMO in, in current day 2019 and try and treat it as a serious world. I mean, look at the comparison between real life and the video game. So think the matrix, right? Like bridging that gap. And I'm telling you, if the majority of you guys do this, you will understand the majority of problems with MMOs. Role-playing, to some extent, kill a, a skill boom I don't want to say role-playing because people have like a weird connotation with role-playing. Uh, probably because all the Goldshire shit but, <laughs> and all the porn sites that do the role-playing stuff. But like, yeah, ultimately speaking, that is role-playing, right? You're understanding, like, here's my character within my world. But I mean, like, even just ignore your character for a second. And just try and take the world itself seriously as, as what it stands for. The majority of MMOs do not make any sense in that regard. They don't. And that's because they used to be designed as a virtual world. This is all out there. Brad McQuaid said this. Uh, Raph Koster said this. Richard Garriott. All the Mark Jacobs. All the old OGs were about virtual worlds. We're about creating worlds. The current day MMOs don't have that as much, right? And WoW lost a lot of that. So what I'm saying is, is like if you go play Ion, if you go play Blade and Soul, Black Desert, any of these games that are out there right now and are somewhat popular, and just try and take them serious within their world, what you'll find is that it's very, very difficult to do that. And that's because we've introduced so many quality of life and ease of access functions and, and features that ruin a lot of that. And, and this is a, a topic actually that's totally related to MMOs on the go to bring it back to MMOs. I know Limpos was, his head was breaking because of the martial arts discussions. Uh, here it is. There is a, a particular Reddit post recently in the MMO uh, RPG subreddit. Or I think it was pa past week. Let's. Okay, so the premise was conversationless gameplay is killing MMOs. The guy, you know, postulates that most games have automatic matchmaking, group finding. It's so much easier to, to do things, and the game itself is easier. There's not as many challenges. Many of these MMOs, he argues, play like massive offline games. And this is exactly my, my concept and my point here, is that go into these games and try and take them serious within the world itself, and you can't because they constantly ruin your immersion. 
How do games ruin your immersion? Well, they don't let you customize your character. That ruins my immersion immediately. And I know Card agrees with me because we talk about this a lot. But like the number one thing first that ruins my immersion is, is my ability to customize my character. If I cannot customize my character, there's no, there's no role play, right? I can't be my character if I can't customize him. And yes, people will say, MMOs have customization. Technically, yeah, they do. Is it very good? No, I don't think, I don't think it is. Black Desert Online has a great, great character creator system. Awesome. One of the best character creator systems in the game or in, in, in the realm, right? In, in the market. But is it good at customization? It is horrible at customization. One of the worst offenders of customization is Black Desert Online. <laughs> that ruins my immersion. What are other things that could ruin your immersion? What things that ruin my immersion is whenever some big event happens and I see everybody else around me. And what I mean by that is like um, when I do a story quest in, in SWOTOR and then I walk out of my instance and I see six dudes about to walk right into their story instance. That ruins my immersion. I, I don't want to quest with like these other random people if we're not actually able to quest with each other. And I know they fixed that especially whenever they started adding like allowing parties to join and then they of course they had group flashpoints and all they they added more content to allow you to have that group uh interactivity in swotor but for the longest time the game was like the offline mmo i mean swotor was like level go into your instance and go out of your instance and you see just people going into instances and that was the game that ruined my immersion in that game it was horrible for my immersion so what helped my immersion in SWOTOR was pretending it was a single-player game. <laughs> That's what helped my, my perception of it, right? What are other things that ruin your immersion? Um, well, if there's not long-form progression, how can you be immersed in a world, right? How can you be immersed if there's no long-term goal to being there, right? If my goal every day is just play for five minutes, that's not enough time to immerse myself, right? I need more time. I need more activities to be able to immerse myself into a world. I need to quest. I need to role play. I need to talk to the community. I need to customize my character. It's all these different things kind of like in totality combined together. Other things. Lore. Tribalism. Yes, that's the easy way to determine if a game is taking itself seriously. And when I say take itself seriously, I mean as a role playing, you know, story platform, campaign, whatever. Whenever you write pen and paper or create a D&D campaign, it has to make sense within that rule set. Does it not? It does, right? That's how D&D works. MMOs used to kind of work like that. Similar systems, right? Very, like they learned from pen and paper, but they got away from that part. So it's like, now I can play a game without actually really having to play by the rules. And I'm talking about from a story perspective. Not from, like, people don't let you cheat. I'm not saying people let you hack, but I'm saying, like, from a story perspective. Perfect example. If I'm playing Warhammer online, and I know my, my Warhammer fans will love this example, why the hell are the greenskins automatically part of destruction? I don't know about you, but, like, I mean, I like playing greenskin. I'm not cool with the other races. It's, it's greenskin or bus. It's it's the wag or bust, right? That's that was my role play perspective. So when I when I role played in, in, in Warhammer Online, I was a black orc and I said 
all yous are idiots, right? Or all yous suck. It was like my mentality was I'm this big orc guy. Just because I work with the destruction doesn't mean I have to actually work with them. But unfortunately, because it's two factions, I do, right? So I can roleplay all I want. I can tell myself, I hate them. I'm not really working with them. Here are all of my reasons. But at any point during the game, I cannot do this. Actually, I'm not going to be allied with you guys anymore. We're going to take the greenskins and attack the chaos tomorrow at the Forbidden City. Right? What game can you do that in? D&D. Right? Dungeons and Dragons. Right? Pen and paper RPGs. You can do anything in those games. That's why if you take that same concept and you try and apply it to most modern day MMOs, they fail so much. They fail so much. Because they aren't actual virtual worlds. What does a virtual world mean? Let's uh, read the definition according to the guy who coined the term. It is a computer-based simulated environment. Right? Which may be populated by many users who can create a personal avatar and simultaneously and independently explore the virtual world, participate in its activities, communicate with others. These avatars can be textual, 2 or 3D graphical uh, representations. Excuse me. Um, virtual worlds allow for multiple users. Single-player computer games such as Skyrim can kind of be considered a type of virtual world. Sounds like I'm talking about MMOs, right? Well, if you just scroll down just a little bit more, right? Massive multiplayer online games that depict a wide range of worlds, including those based on science fiction, the real world, superheroes, sports, horror, and historical whatever. Make sense? That's what a virtual world is. That's why these games today don't work the way they should work. They don't work within a framework because they're not a virtual world. They are just a game. Just a game. And if you wonder why diehard fans of old school MMOs are diehard fans of those games, it's because those were virtual worlds. Galaxies, right? Ultima, right? EverQuest 1, right? These were, these were games that were designed, well, especially, I would say, EverQuest 1, was designed specifically to be a virtual world that you could create a new character, new identity, new race, and be anybody you want to be within that confine and be that person, right? That was, the, that was what it was to play EverQuest. I can be a dark elf, which means I will be attacked on site by humans because I am an evil race. <laughs> Doesn't mean that I'm evil for the rest of my life. It means I can go do quests to become less evil, right? But meaning there's customization, there's change, and there's tribalism, and you need all of that within a virtual world. So... That's, to, to leave you guys with that, a little bit convoluted, but to, to leave it back to the simple point, if you, if you want to understand how to know or, or look for patterns in MMOs, look at them as a virtual world. That's the easiest way to do it because in order for things to function, they have to follow like an ecosystem, correct? Even, even things that aren't living. Like, um, for example, the, the, car, the, the, the I don't know, life and death of a piece of machinery. It has to go through a process. It's part of the virtual world. It gets created by somebody, commissioned for someone else, sold to someone else, meaning it still has to listen to the rules of the virtual world. If you and I walk outside right now and immediately just put on our quote-unquote PVP flag and just start attacking everyone on the street, what's going to happen to us? Well, 
other people are going to PK us, right? They're going to, they're going to like beat me up and then the police are going to come and throw me in jail, right? So what keeps me from just like fighting and just like doing crazy shit? Consequences, right? <laughs> Otherwise I could just do whatever, right? As long as I didn't have moral problems or whatever else. But people ask all the time, like, why don't PVP MMOs work? I don't get it. Why don't they work? And then other people say, well, I know exactly how they don't work. It's because you lose something when you PvP. Therefore, people do not like to lose things. So that's why arenas and MOBAs are popular and MMOs aren't. People make that argument to me all the time, dude. They make that same argument to me. And then I wonder, do you actually even know how the world works? What stops people from PvPing in the real world? Consequences, right? societal expectations as well as shame right and then of course you know the the threat itself of doing something that's what keeps me from doing something but in a in a in a, a video game right it's hard to find equivalencies in current day examples for example in black desert online there's no crazy player who just decides to kill everybody that exists in the real world right serial killer that person exists they are underrepresented in a video game i know it sounds weird but hear me out. What about the, the brigand? The guy who just likes to... The highwayman. The guy who whenever you walk by, hey, give me five silver. Or I'm going to PK you. Why doesn't he exist? Because he doesn't have a reason not to just kill you. So the idea is that by making it more like a virtual world, by like essentially... Um, by default, you're creating a world that has to make sense. Right? So you need rules, regulations. You need people who are willing to maybe be a police officer or something similar to that, right? A role that's similar to that, a bounty hunter, someone that upholds some type of standard. You need that role in your game. Otherwise, who's going to do it? Just completely a whim? That's what Darkfall did. Darkfall, <laughs> Darkfall was hilarious because Darkfall was like Eve in that they would say, hey, just about anything goes, guys. Except in Darkfall, the game was extremely difficult to mechanically play. So in order to be even somewhat good, you had to be a Quake God, right? At that game. You wanted to be at the top level. You basically had to be a good Quake player. And um, that's a high skill ceiling to ask for somebody. And so when you only have killers, right? All these insane, like high-level Quake player killers who are PKing people and taking all of their loot. What balances that out in, in Darkfall Online? The alignment system was supposed to, but why doesn't the alignment system work? As I detail in my video, it's because it has no consequence, right? Who cares if I'm red? I can still take all your shit and there's no downside to it, right? Eventually, if I did that, the police will catch me, right? If in the real world, I'm just PKing everybody, uh, eventually I get caught, right? And arrested, and then I'm thrown in jail for 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years. Do you get thrown in jail when you do bad things in a video game? Only in Arcade, pretty much. Or maybe a couple other systems. I know German 2 has experienced a couple. But what other games do you get locked up or like penalized, right? Not a whole lot because it is a game. You want to have fun. You don't want people to dread playing it, right? But that's kind of the thing is, is that if it doesn't have the balance, what's to stop the, the wolves from just eating all of the other sheep? What stops them? Like we have our, our farm and our gated area. And our sheep are inside the gated area doing their sheep things. 
and we have the wolves outside. What stops the wolves from coming in? Usually the gate, right? Like the gate is the first barrier. What's the other one? The farmer. They'll shoot the wolf, right? The wolf knows that. He's, it's smart enough to know that, that it can, it can die. So how, how does the wolf have to get the sheep? It has to sneak in, right? But it can't just run in guns blazing because, I mean, it's sheep, but I mean, eventually something is going to stop it. So the problem with games like Darkfall and Eve is that there isn't a police, there isn't a counterbalance, and it isn't ultimately about resources as much as it should be about. Because that's the other consideration. Why don't countries just always go to war? Or when a country goes to war, why does it cost so much money to go to war? Because it costs supplies, right? Like you have to manufacture things, you have to create bombs, you have to pay whatever. Like it costs a lot of money to mobilize troops, but most importantly, it costs resources, right? Energy, coal, <clears throat> mining something, um, metal, steel, whatever your resources, right? And so that's why these games came up with systems that allow you to get resources. They, they, they say like, you know, Guild Wars, some of these other systems have like very basic views of this, but they're like, put five wood in and three silver and there you go. There's your resources. That's the change we need to get away from. Get away from that and get more into, I need to go chop 20 trees to get 20 pieces hey, of, of, you know, 20 logs in order to create a lumber mill to, to then create more wood to then create a trebuchet. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, I know I'm saying shit that just sounds like, Thanks. yeah, but some games do that. But it's guy. like, I'm good at it has to be within a virtual world, which means if one part is messed up, meaning if resources aren't a big enough issue, if resources aren't a big enough issue, then everybody just attacks and fights all the time, right? What's to stop people from just fighting in, a, in Darkfall Online here? But guess what happens after all of the wolves stomp out all of the players? But you've got the wrong guy. They got... I'm good at shooting. If this is my plaques on the wall of heads, they got not only heads all over the wall, they got fresh new armor sets to wear from, from dead dudes, right? So... Resources are no longer a problem because they're taking all of that stuff from other people. But once again, how is that stopped in the real world? By force. Other people stop them. People band together. But then that didn't happen in Darkfall because those systems weren't created. And so at the end of the day, as, as, as simple as it might sound, it's not simple. It is complicated. I don't mean to make it sound simple. But at the end of the day, the best MMO is the one that is a virtual world. There's just, essentially, there's no argument against that because that's how the concept was created, right? That was the idea behind the concept was virtual world, virtual reality. Like, I'm in another world. I can create another character, be whoever I want to be. And this world hey, has different thanks. rules, right? But you've got the wrong guy. Maybe I'm playing a Wild West MMO. This doesn't have the same rules as my backyard, right? The rules are different here. It's very, that's Wild West, right? Maybe the sheriff is in on it. Hey, Maybe he thanks. got paid off, right? You've got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people, <laughs> cracking wine. Who the hell? Oh, to know how to fight with thank you, AKH. Players. I appreciate that. AKH just gifted uh, 10 subs to everybody. So hey, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I was wondering why that thing kept I'm going. Shooting people, cracking That's crazy. Pretending to know how to fight with my hands. I've, I don't think I've ever had that many bot at one time. Hey, I'm changing uh, the front, but we, we got all the way up to 36 people. people That's crazy. And pretending to know how to fight with my hands. Let me refresh to make sure that I didn't get any more. No. Man, we, we went all the way up to 36 in just like hey, a day. Thanks. But you've got the wrong guy. I appreciate that, AKH. <laughs> that was awesome. To know how to fight with my hands. Are you guys following me? Am I going crazy here? 
right? <laughs> only, only 14. Hey, thanks. Oh shit! I'm good at oh no, it's happening. To know how to fight with my hands. I guess that means next podcast I'll be dressing up. Oh no. Hey, thanks, but you've got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people, cracking wise, and pretending to know how to fight with. We're at 41 right now. I'm I'm sweating in here, literally and figuratively, because we're getting close. Hey, thanks, but you've got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people, cracking wise, and pretending to know how to fight with my. Yeah, hands. I'm. I am already sweating. <laughs> That's really cool of you, though. I appreciate that. But you've got the wrong. Yeah, we're we're nine away, man. We're 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 like right about there. Know how to fight with my hands. I just I love MMOs. Can I say that? Can we still put that out there? I know I talk about. I'm patterns and people, I don't like Black Desert and I'm making a video on that right now by the way uh, to explain why I don't like it because I, I went into like very you know as, as best as I could the detail to explain my perspective but it's easy to be pessimistic when many MMOs fail and when they're nearly destined to fail right because it's a very hard industry to break into and a, I mean the mistakes are under a microscope they're catastrophic right when you fail in the MMO industry, you fail $100 million, right? Your failure isn't $10 million, isn't $1 million. What if I told you there's games that, single-player games that do well that cost $6 million, $5 million, $1 million, right? Everyone knows that. There's games that cost that little amount of money. The only MMOs that don't cost that much money, that made that much money, are the old-school ones. EverQuest, WoW, well, WoW now, <laughs> they spend way too much money on the game. I mean, early development. EverQuest, Shadowbane. Shadowbane had a tenth of the budget of EverQuest, which meant it was like a hundred or two hundred thousand. For reference, right? Darkfall. If I remember correctly, Darkfall had. Thanks, but you've got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people. Was it twelve million? They said. I, I, it's off the top of my head. I can't remember. Like twelve million, right? Hey, thanks. Okay. <laughs> I'm good at shooting. People. No, the, more and more. I, to fight with my hands. I appreciate it, AKH. Dang, man. You did have me sweat a little bit. Hey. Now we're thanks. four away. But you've got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people, cracking wise, and pretending to know how to fight with my hands. <laughs> That's crazy. I've, I've never had a sub train like that before. Thanks. But you've got the wrong guy. Well, technically it's not a subtrain. It's one guy subtraining other people. But fight with my hands. I've never had that happen before. That's crazy. <laughs> Get that trench. The sad thing is, is I've actually already worn the trench coat the and I wore it at PAX Unplugged. So if you were at PAX Unplugged in Philly last year, you would have actually saw me dressed up in an outfit because we shot some videos that I haven't released yet because they take time, unfortunately, <laughs> when my editors don't work full time for me. So I have to, you know, essentially find the time that they can do something for me and try and do it as fast as I can. It was interesting. I'll be honest. Like, dressing up, at first, it was like, am I going to do this gimmick or constant? Like, am, am I going to dress up as a detective and go to PAX Unplugged? Like, why, why am I going to do this? I don't know. Like, I don't have to do the gimmick. I don't have to dress up, right? I can just show up and, like, be Nerd Slayer. But then I thought, but that's what people want, right? They want the persona. That's what it is. 
you know, okay, between us, okay, this is spoiler. I'm going to tell you guys the plot. But NS stands for Nerd Slayer. <gasps> Shocking, I know. But NS is the name of the detective persona. He just goes by NS. N dot S dot. That's what he goes by. Just like a detective, he puts his initials. NS. So everyone calls him NS, and he's known by NS. It stands for Nerd Slayer, obviously, but the, the idea is that it's still uh, it's still a persona, right? NS is still a persona, and NS is all about getting to the bottom of it and solving the issue, solving the problem, right? Answering the question. <laughs> Wait, what just happened? I just clicked off for a second. Let me pull up my other chat. By the way, I didn't I didn't mention this to you guys, but I wanted to talk briefly about this because there is some positiveness and or positivity in the world of MMOs, in the world of new MMOs. So it recently came out that Mortal Online is releasing a you know a second game, a sequel. Um, Henrik, if people aren't familiar with Mortal Online. It was an Unreal Engine 3 game that was an early, like, alpha access, early beta back in 2010? Around 2010? The game came out itself. Hey. 2010. Okay, so but you've got the wrong yeah, it was around the same timeline then. Shooting people, cracking wise, and pretending to know how to fight with my hands. Damn, that's crazy. Thanks for uh, gifting everyone. <laughs> I appreciate that. We we got up to 48 now. Like, what the? I, I'm definitely sweating bullets now. Okay, Mortal Online came out in 2010. And, I mean, it's Unreal Engine 3. At this point, all I have to say to you guys should just be Unreal Engine 3. Right? I mean, is that not obvious here? Does, does this game look like it lags or plays perfectly? I'm not even going to tell you guys if it does. I, I want you guys to tell me by watching. Do you think this Unreal Engine 3 game performs flawlessly or doesn't have performance issues or hitbox issues or uh, hit detection issues or hit collision issues or lag issues or desync issues? Do you think it has any of these issues? It's Unreal 3. You're not looking hard enough, Limpos. Pay attention to the textures. Pay attention to the pop-ins. The signs are all there, guys. It's unreal. This is a bait question. Exactly. It's a bait question. Look at that shit. Texture popping in on the ground. How does the texture pop in on the ground? <laughs> How are you going to walk straight and you look down and the texture's popping in? That's Unreal 3 in a nutshell. I've, I've, I've had so many gripes with this damn engine, and I, I hate blaming engines because it's yeah, such a cop-out thing to do. Like, people do that ad nauseum with Creation Engine and Gamebriel. I know. That gets old. That rhetoric gets old, especially when I don't have the technical acumen to explain exactly why the engine isn't working. The other thing I don't pretend to know. I do know. <laughs> that is pretty damn terrible at, at performing well, right? But the combat's actually pretty cool, man. Like, it's, like, it's got action combat. Um, there's full loot in the game. You can craft like just about anything you can think of. Um, 
It's full PvP loot. Look at that. He just got eaten by a giant monster. Like, how cool is that? That's so cool to me. I love seeing players die in games because they never die in MMOs anymore. I love to see a player lose or die whenever they do a first look. Look at that shit. Everyone hated him because he, like, did horrible. <laughs> Sandbox fans, we're the worst, aren't we? If you come play our game, this is how we thank you. We just, like, downvote the shit out of your video because we're just like... You suck. That's why you don't like the game. <laughs> like, unfortunately. Wait, did we just break it? Oh, man. We just broke it. We just did it. We hit 50 subs. This is the first time I've ever hit 50 subs. I mean, if, I, if you can't tell, I'm excited because th this is going to be a little bit of humble pie. I never thought I'd be a streamer. I never thought I would be a good streamer. And I know you guys are like, what? Like, why would you think that? Because I didn't even watch streams coming up. Like, I don't even really watch streams. And well, let me take that back. I watch more than most people do. But I don't watch compared to, like, my friends. Like, Ludens or... Um, who's the other one? Uh, oh, uh, my friend Adun. Some of my friends, they, they watch a lot of footage. They watch all Twitch. They, my cousin, too. Big, you know, fans of watching Twitch. I would watch them and stuff. And I'm just like... I don't... I think I'm like, that can't be me, because like, I don't really see what the appeal of that is. And I know, I'm, I'm not going to make any sense to you guys here, but hear me out. I was like, I don't, what's the appeal of that? You're just like, unless you're like a really good player, like a pro-level player, like Shroud, why do you watch someone? Entertainment is what people have been telling me. So then it was like, for me, it's weird to be in the concept of like, people watch me because it's entertaining. Like, my brain doesn't work that way. My brain's like, they watch me because they want to learn something. But then I forget that I also have fun. You guys also have fun. And anyway, that was just my little humble pie story. I never thought I'd be a good streamer. And I'm not saying I'm the best streamer or I've made it, okay? I'm just saying I never, I still think that. I never really thought that that would be me, that I'd be a streamer person. It was just more of like, I need a way to feel like I can interact with my audience that isn't behind the closed door. And what I mean by behind the closed door is produced, manufactured. You know, like when I do my introduction to something, it's theatrics, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm acting kind of, right? I kind of have to in order to, like I've learned that. I kind of have to act in order to make it more exciting. When I stream though, it's just a camera, mic, lights, and then it's me. And it's just like, all right, make it happen. That, that part has always been definitely nerve-wracking. And I know streamers talk about that all the time. But it's just like, how do I make something happen with just like this? Like what I have right now, like, is this enough, you know? But I, anyway, we, we hit 50 subs. Uh, honestly, I'm pretty surprised by that. You can see that my arms are looking a little bit bigger because I've been lifting a little bit. Um, I'm surprised we hit 50 subs. So thank you, AKH, for gifting all of those subs. Thank you for my loyal subs who are already subbed to me. Um, also, big shout out to you guys. <laughs> I never thought I'd be celebrating 50 subs, but I'm celebrating 50 subs and I'm damn happy that I'm celebrating 50 subs. So, yeah. You wouldn't mind behind closed door action? I don't mind behind closed door action in certain respects, but I think if it's always that way, you... I don't know. I, I think I mean more of like, I like being off the cuff with you guys. But I don't want my content to be all off the cuff, just as I don't want it to, to be all fully produced. You have to find balance.
And this is fun, you know? To, to do stuff like this is fun, ultimately. Streams are more personal, so logically you're the type of person people would like to know in real life. Gotcha, I see what you're saying. So, so uh, yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. It's good that you don't identify as a streamer. Streamers are kind of uh, dumb, like 90% of them. I mean, I can do the generalities with the best of them. I think it's more that streamers, it's not that streamers are dumb. I think it's that streamers are just doing what they have to do to get by. Like, there's no uh, Ill, Ill intent. Like, I take that back. I don't want to speak for everyone. There's some crazy people out there. Hey, thanks. But I mean, like, just really, like, I feel like most people just do things just because they just want to survive. Or they, they just want to succeed. And when I watch, like, Ninja dye his hair or something, I know. I know why he's doing it. It's, it's marketing. He's trying to be fresh and be new and be unique. That, that doesn't bother me at all. I think what bothers me is when... I watch some of the bigger you like can you guys explain this to me since y'all seem to know more about streaming than I do but I never quite understood why you have the really 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 popular streamers and they get even more popular because just essentially because they're popular and what I mean by that is that the the first reason that I would argue that you donate to somebody is so they can read your message right and so you could support them like those are like the two things like to read the message and to support the person um, but what about a rich or a wealthy person or a person with a million subs or a hundred K subs, 200 K subs? Are you doing them a favor? No. Right. Are they going to read your message? No, most of them don't. Are they even going to see your donation? Probably not. But why do people still do it? I guess is where my question is. Is it because they just still want to feel like, you know what? You're giving me free content. So I'm thankful and I'm going to give like you some kind of money. Is that like the mentality some people have? Because I only sub to people essentially that I follow a lot, which are not a whole lot of people. But like I, I just I stick to the people that I really, really, really follow. So I'm not as used to like the concept of kind of watching a streamer who's more so popular and then like still kind of trying to develop that relationship. You, you get what I'm saying? Like what I like about being a small streamer is that right now I'm talking to 36 of you. And that's it. It's just 36 of you right now. Like, yeah, maybe some more come, some leave. But it's just us. And so I can get to all of your questions, generally speaking, and I can read all of your responses. Um, I mean, shit, I read all of my comments in YouTube as well, and there's thousands of comments there, but that's a whole that's almost to a problem. <laughs> I read too many comments, okay? That's the opposite problem, <laughs> if anything. Um, but it, it's just more personal. Like, I feel like when I'm speaking... I know if I say something and I ask you guys a question, it's interactivity. Like, you're, you're going to interact with me and I'm going to see the interaction. But I wonder, like, with bigger YouTubers or, or Twitch streamers, I even just wonder, personally speaking, do they ever miss that connection that you could have whenever you were smaller? Or is it just a matter of, that's just how it goes. You get more popular, you lose that connection with your fan base, and that's just kind of how it goes, or A lot of time, I think it's more so for the easy money. Asmongold always talks about how he doesn't mind getting donation because he's getting paid $3 to be insulted. <laughs> That's a good one. I suppose most people hope their message will be read out loud. Uh, somebody just subbed, by the way. 
Uh, thank you, uh, Sophia Chan. I appreciate it. A lot of time, I think it's more for... Oh, and I already read that one. Patreon is kind of better for that kind of thing. I totally agree. Because on Patreon, you can write a personal message. Thank you for your... Excuse me. Thank you for your content. I just wanted to show you that I support you. That's kind of like Patreon to me. Whereas like just straight donating, I think it's better probably like money-wise. Um, but I, I guess like for a bigger streamer, it doesn't seem to have the same kind of like connection, I guess. If you're wondering why I keep saying connection, that's a huge important thing for me. Like one of the most important things for me personally is like that I know what my audience wants and that I know that like they're happy with what I'm doing and, and they're happy with like my path. Because otherwise, yeah, I do this for myself, but I wouldn't do this if I was the only one who watched my videos. <laughs> like, okay, I take that back. I probably would, but I mean, I it wouldn't be the same, right? Let's be honest. It wouldn't be the same. I'd be crazy <laughs> or something like it wouldn't be the same. But when you do get an audience, it's so sad to see so many of the big popular guys, streamers and YouTubers lose like that connection with their audience. And then once they lose it, it's just gone, man. It's just so hard to get back. And I know it sounds weird because, of course, I want to be more popular. I need to make a living like I don't get paid a lot of money to live right now to do what I do. And that's okay because I love doing it. And I chose to do this, even if it's hard, right? Because I love it and it's rewarding. And I, and I, and it's just the only essentially thing that I could ever imagine myself doing with the rest of my life. Um, but at the same time, I got to be careful in that as we're going to grow bigger and bigger, I got to make sure that I, I keep my discord, you know, I keep, I keep this kind of environment, this kind of relationship where I can talk, I can ask you guys questions and I can make sure I'm getting that feedback because when you lose that layer of feedback, it's so obvious. To me, that's Angry Joe. I loved Angry Joe's uh, content before. And after that whole drama, man, I felt for him because it's like he tried to go against his audience. I get it because sometimes you do want to like put up the dukes and be like, you're wrong. And I do it a lot. But on a large scale, no, nah, you can't do that. You can't make your audience like your enemy. You know, and that's the unfortunate thing about Joe is like he did change. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not saying it's bad necessarily. It's just that's what happened. He stopped reading his comments as much. He admitted that he stopped following his 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 audience as much. He admitted that because he was getting all of this negative uh, feedback and stigma or whatever from them or, or, or um, you know, they were essentially they were being negative because he wasn't releasing as many review videos as he used to. And he made the cardinal sin of trying to kind of go against his audience. And obviously, he's a big YouTuber. I'm not going to kill his audience. It didn't kill his audience. He's still around. He's still very popular. <laughs> but it did hurt his audience, for sure. Because that just, when you violate your audience's trust and, like, your relationship with them, it just changes, man. It's not the same. And, like, I'm sorry, but for me, it hasn't been the same with someone like Angry Joe. Like, when I saw him early in his career, I felt, like, personally involved. It feels like the distance is increasing and increasing. And that's what I get scared of with myself sometimes. It's why, ultimately speaking, as long as I can live and afford my living, I don't care if I'm a niche guy. I don't care if I only, if I peak at 300k uh, subs on YouTube, if those 300k like my content and they watch my videos, right? Because I can still make a living, still love what I do, and I still have my particular niche audience. Most big streamers keep the connection with subs, Patreons, mods, etc. And cuts the average viewer loose. That's a good point. That's a good point. 
Did you know that he wanted to upload an answer to his Alita review? But it was, let's say, contradictory. <laughs> uh, contradictory in, in what sort of way? Nah, I'd never kick you guys to the curb. Hey, you just got like 110 bucks. Not a bad payday. Exactly. The thing is, is that if I could have 50 subs or more a month, I mean, this becomes a lot more affordable for me. So it's like, I know I need to stream more so I can get more uh, uh, viewers and get more subs. But just listen to me when I say I, we have a plan, okay? I do have a plan. I've thought all of this ahead. So, I mean, I've most of your questions... Please keep asking them. Please keep, you know, um, giving me your suggestions. But most of the things I've thought of already, because I'm all in on this, right? This is all I want to do. So I'm going to try and do this as best as I can. And um, the Dirty Bomb video should be coming out today, by the way. The Dirty Bomb Death of a Game video. Let me see, actually, if it's out already. Nah, I don't think it is. Anyway, that one should be out today. I need to double check with Tom, but that yeah, that's that's what I was told. And then the next game that will be uh, covered is probably one of the most popular franchises of all time, and that's all I'm gonna say in regards to that clue. Because <laughs> I like to I like to let you guys figure it out. Anyway, what I was gonna say is this is all like. This all has something to do with the fact that I mentioned that Patreon video to you guys last month. That's still like being done. Like, unfortunately, you know, Tom works full time and also does my channel. So it's like, I, I don't have his full attention, which means I only get part of his production. So once that switch happens and that video comes out, which will hopefully fix that issue essentially, we're gonna outline everything that we have in, in store, like for the channel and, and, and so, you're going to exactly know what we have in store, but just know this, that I've already told Limpos this because he asked me once, but um, I'm going to stream more and I'm going to stream on Fridays specifically because I want to do some more mafia and more specifically community mafia to get you guys involved. So there's a lot more streaming stuff planned. We have emotes planned. We have, um, it was um, emotes, the other one. Oh, well, I can't mention that one. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, well, well, um, I'll stream more just so you guys know. Like that will be a Friday stream. Um, at the moment, I'm thinking Friday afternoon, like same time as now, basically. It'd be around now during Friday, and it'd be just like four or five hours, or three four hours, you know, maybe less depending on the time of us just playing Mafia together, that sort of thing. Anyway, I, I want to get to the question, so I'm gonna go ahead and pull German two in because he's been waiting patiently. Hey, uh, sorry, I, I know you've been waiting in there. What's your question? I'll go ahead and move everything to the call-in segment. Oh, no worries, man. I know uh, you're a pretty busy guy and tend to go off on tangents, so it's <laughs> no <laughs> Yeah, that's what you guys are for, to keep me grounded. You're good. Uh, no, it's just, well, I guess it's kind of like stacked this point, but I'll just stick to the one I had in mind in the get-go. So I was thinking about like um, 
just I don't I don't know if you've been keeping up with like some of the things I've been posting the last few days, but I've watched uh, a lot of like old retrospective videos, and in particular, I rewatched um, the was icons from G four, and I was just thinking about just kind of the mindset with older uh, MMOs, so you know EverQuest, uh, Star Wars Galaxies, and all those, and just kind of made me think about you know, the modern ones and how the mindset has come from, you know, like you said, making a virtual world to making like a service at this point, where it's just, it's a game. That's all it is. And it's just, I just wanted to get kind of like a little more of a discussion with that on how, I guess, how, how do you think, or not really how do you think, but what are some ideas that you've thought of, at least just concept-wise, on how you can probably scale that back into, let's not make a game, let's make a world. Like, like what kind of ideas have you thought of to bring it back? It's, it's um, I mean, the simplest way to put it is you got to get back to the root. So, like, when we talk about old-school MMOs, one thing I think people kind of unfortunately get lost in the sauce about is they think it's because nostalgia only like that's one thing that is a little bit frustrating and i try and kind of stamp out in my videos is like you have to understand that yeah there's a lot of nostalgia surrounding these games i mentioned that people have nostalgia goggles they'll see whatever thing in whatever way they want right but at the same time like we talked about last week on the podcast with ludens about galaxies like think about just what does this game do right and when you look at a game like galaxies that's the game, again, to a certain extent, that should be learned from. Like, that's the one that should be the game that people look at and think, look at, like, how much there is here and how much we could do if we just fix the issues that they didn't fix, which was combat primarily, um, as well as more content. They kind of fucked that up, and they also obviously ruined their audience by the whole NGE thing, SOE, blah, blah, blah. So that, that was like a train wreck on so many different ways. But to put it simply... Look at old school virtual worlds, and I don't, I'm not talking about MMOs, I'm talking about text-based MUDs, like really go that far back, go back to like a text-based MUD, and, and you look at like, why does this function, and of course, as, as I mentioned before, it functions because it follows its rules, and it's believable within its own context, right? That's, that's what you would consider to be a good world. So the idea is that to get back to that, it's not easy from the perspective that it's going to take time and not just time, but the, the careful <clears throat> effort, the careful, deliberate effort. You need somebody like Leonard Boyarsky recently had a great quote that I'll read because um, it's really related to this. I'll have to find it. But... Yeah, I'll have to find this as I'm talking. But essentially... The idea is that how can I make somebody care about my world, right? How can I make someone care about my world? Let's say I pitch an idea and my idea that I stuck with is sci-fi for whatever reason, right? I said sci-fi is, is the kind of world that I'm going to create. How can I make a, a good, believable sci-fi world? Well, as most people know who follow sci-fi or love sci-fi, right? I'm not the authority on sci-fi there's people who like my girlfriend she knows way more about sci-fi than i do but like why does sci-fi work because it's like well we don't have the science yet but what if we did 
right? That's sci-fi in a nutshell, right? What if we could just, I don't know, hyperdrive somewhere and go to another galaxy or another universe? So because that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of sci-fi, that would be my hook, essentially. If I'm trying to create a game, it'd be, my hook is exploration, space, extra technology, so I can do things that we can't do now, which is like travel across the, the, the universe and travel at insane speeds. So, like, that's how Star Wars obviously comes up with this world. Okay, so we can do that. Now the possibilities are endless, right? And that's why, funny enough, sci-fi, as we mentioned, is kind of a bad choice <laughs> because it's almost too big and grand, <laughs> especially right. as an MMO. I personally would, would stick with fantasy. It's much easier to design because it's just basically one world. Um, so let's, let's, let's pivot to, to fantasy just for the ease of the discussion. If I make it a fantasy world, okay, who are the inhabitants of my world? Let's say I come up with six distinctive uh, races and culture groups. Okay. Not only do I have to come up with six different groups, they have to be believable within their own context of their own lore and story. So meaning if one group is known as the warlike tribe, that needs to be their story. Their lore needs to be, we're warlike. In order to join our tribe, you must fight. You must be strong, right? And then that particular tribe doesn't like the science tribe. Because maybe they look at them or the, or the you know, mystical tribe and they think, oh, you're weak. You guys do that weird magic stuff. So there's conflict. I just created conflict in my world. So the conflict is how does that play out? A uh, mission, a quest, a uh, zone, an NPC, right? There's different ways, of course, to create that conflict. But what if I told you that the easiest way to create conflict is amongst the players? It's already been proven, right? Like... Dark Age of Camelot, when they first came up with the idea of Dark Age of Camelot, it was first called Darkness Falls. You know, an arena game, essentially. It will start it as a 2D mud, and then it like kind of morphed into like some kind of arena game that was just a multiplayer arena game. But what the developers said about that that really stuck with me since I covered uh, Dark Age of Camelot is he said that what we learned is when you introduce three factions and create distinctive three factions and center them around the, uh, the, essentially the tribalism within that, you know, culture, uh, class uh, specification, or like whatever, whatever your lore, maybe you like green guys, maybe you like blue guys, whatever, right? Whatever your specific hook is. But the idea that they came up with is that if we just do three factions and do it like this, the conflict is endless, <laughs> right? Because they always have a reason to hate each other. Think about right. Warhammer, right? Yeah, I think of like, uh, I guess you can even go as far as like Lord of the Rings too, because mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings was like that for a long time with the dwarves and the elves, for example. Like that, yep. that kind of argument would work. That, exactly. That's what you have to do. You need to find a way to create conflict, make it believable, and involve the player. I think that's the other key element that gets left out in MMOs is like they kind of... Like Skyrim is bad at this. Let's like let's be honest. Like especially the open segment, we are kind of like on rails, and you just have to like experience this. That's not a virtual world. A virtual world wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be like this is who you are, and that's it. You are the Dragonborn, and that's who you are. A virtual world doesn't really work that way. A virtual world, you could be, I don't know, a street sweeper. Theoretically, like you could literally just be the guy who just sweeps streets, and that's just your your role, right? Because Anything is possible, right? And that's, that's what's so hard about it, I think, is, is like people's minds go all over the place because so much is possible. But that's why I think it's always best to center it in reality, which is like look at an ecosystem, look at a biome, you know, look at a terranium, anything that on a small scale, how can you create conflict and keep things fun for these people? And the simple answer is always obviously 
a rewarding gameplay that has like a low ceiling or sorry, a low floor, but a high ceiling. So it's easy to play, hard to master. And then, of course, by creating conflict through the story, through characters, maybe like you said, you, we in our fantasy game, we create the dwarves and the dwarves hate the elves. So if you created a dwarf character and you walked into the elf city in this virtual world, what would happen? My, this is my question to you. What do you think would happen? Probably get attacked on site. Right. And that's the idea is that there has to be some type of precedent and, and lore and reason that things happen. Otherwise, th- then there's no the, the consequence in the culture and the, the blood, essentially the life gets stripped away. Right. When you're when you're doing things and I'm thinking role play, why am I doing this? Like like Black Desert Online, why am I running around killing these monsters to level up to level 63? I, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know why. Because <laughs> it's fun, I guess. That's the only reason. But that's not good enough for me. Some people need a reason. They need a hook. And I need a hook. I need to know, like in Warhammer. Warhammer is the perfect example of this because the fact that Warhammer Online doesn't have an amazing MMO, or sorry, Warhammer doesn't have an amazing MMO is a travesty. But Warhammer is such a good example because there are books and books of conflict. (laughs) So it's like... Yeah, I just, uh, I think of like... uh... The open system that Guild Wars 2 Death first talked about where it was like, oh, if there's this spot that is getting attacked, yeah, say by like goblins or whatever, and you don't beat these goblins through a quest line or whatever, well that, that zone's now like captured by them and they you know they move their camp forward, but then if you slaughter too many of them with quest lines, you push them back into the forest and it kind of makes that dynamic kind of exactly. system and it's like granted i don't think any games really ever pulled that off right yet they're trying but I f- ashes right, of creation and, and, is trying and i know um you have you know games in the past tried and even current ones but then it's like obviously something like that concept yeah it's easier said than done but actually pulling it off is a lot harder but then that kind of leads me into uh, another thing that i was thinking about and that was uh, going way back to the start of the podcast talking about Final Fantasy 14 and it's like to me with a lot of these games maybe it's just culture thing I don't know but let's just say I don't know just what if scenario Sony did that with Star Wars Galaxies like how different do you think it would have turned out and you know say the old Republic say just an example never would have happened what, what do you think or, or I guess your dream scenario would be with Star Wars Galaxy of where it would be at today if that were to happen. Like, say, not so much just developing a patch for the game, but, like, just say, hey, we're just going to leave this running for a while, but we're, we're completely remaking the game from the ground up. Um, So you're saying, like, essentially, like, this is like a, play, a, a playground, you know, playhouse kind of thing. Like, I, I right. have the ability to create whatever right. I want. Okay. Um. Essentially, the number one thing in Galaxies has to be the engine and the gameplay. So if I can get Academy, close to Academy-level gameplay, Jedi Academy-level gameplay, or even Battlefront 1 or 2, I'm good with that. I don't know about you, but that seems good enough, right? Those are pretty yeah, damn good those games. Those are pretty good games, for sure. From a gameplay perspective. So if I can take that on a, a micro level and then add the whole macro aspect, which is what I love about massive multiplayer online games, is the massive part. I love the fact that it's the scale is just always grander it has to be because <laughs> that's the whole idea of it i i would of course center it around that this is a galaxy where anything goes 
and any kind of play style is supported. That's the kind of thing that I would I would want to really push. And what I mean by that is that one planet might have a law a certain way, right? Because it has got people in, in power or whatever else. But another planet could be very different, obviously, and it should be very different. I think uh, with galaxies, it has so many good systems already that really just focusing on the aspects first and foremost that it did bad, uh, which is new player experience, the gameplay, engine, performance. Uh, I would say those are probably the... Oh, also armor models and... I mean, models in general. It's just the graphics in general are just old. And, and there wasn't that many armor styles in the game, surprisingly, even though it has great customization and great crafting. So, I mean, yeah, I, I look at it as like um, the this, this similar situation, <clears throat> but Resident Evil 2 remake style. I mean, really, that's what you would have to do. The reason why, in my opinion, Resident Evil 2, uh, the, the remake, does really, really well, or sorry, has done really, really well, is because they handled it with the utmost care. Because they know they fuck up again. They're going to piss people off. We already saw what the other dudes did to Silent Hill, right? Like, we're not going to stand for it as fans of zombie horror survival games. So with Resident Evil 2, they actually took the time, right? To really try and create that similar experience. I've seen side-to-side gameplay. It's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. I've watched the old one and then the new one. That's kind of a similar idea I would have with Galaxies is how can you maintain a lot of the same essence but also fix maybe some of its more like limiting aspects about it? Um, obviously, it's much more difficult though because in order to do that, I mean, <laughs> you're talking like in order to make Galaxies the best way that you can make Galaxies, I mean, I would say it, it would have to be a number in the hundreds of millions. I mean, it would have to be hundreds of millions in order to do that. So that's really where the problem comes in, is raising all that money and convincing somebody that it's a good idea to raise that money, you know, convincing them that your vision is going to work. If I may, I wanted to quickly mention how you could easily undo a virtual world if, if, I, if I could. Sure. Yeah, I just, just, you know, like a little bit of an example, but also for the audience, like... All those things I said, right? So let's say we created a, my, my virtual world. I have Warhammer, but it's like an MMO, exactly how it is in the books and tabletop. Let's say it's like that. How do I ruin that world? Well, the, the way that I ruin that world is essentially work backwards. I want to take away their ability to customize and their ability to choose. I want to make less uh, ramifications and, and consequences for when they make different decisions. So I would do those two things. I would then uh, streamline the way the uh, group system worked. That way, nobody had to talk to anybody. You could just immediately join everybody's group. That's what I would do to ruin the game as well, which doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, that's what most games did. <laughs> I would do that thing so I could ruin player interaction. I would make it to where everything can be botted so you don't have to worry about going to somebody to get your, uh, you know, whatever thing, um, like a, a certain buff, right? No, just get that shit automatically done. Most MMOs did that. They just made it a single button you press or they made it to where it's just a passive that activates. You don't have to activate it every single time. Other things I would add would be um, I'd add uh, RNG progression and RNG uh, loot uh, gaining. So instead of you could pick whatever armor or go to whatever specific craftsman and ask him to make you the best shield, you go to that craftsman, you ask for a shield, and he just rolls on it. <laughs> the, those, like, obviously it's funny and stupid, but the idea is that that's what happened, essentially. Like, they took that virtual world and essentially did everything in their damnness to ruin it. And I'm not saying they did it on purpose. 
They didn't do it on purpose. That's the fucked up part <laughs> is they did it on accident because they didn't know the ramifications of little things that they did. Like, do you think that the WoW developers truly understood what effect taking mount or sorry, adding flying mounts to the game would have? I would be willing to disagree to the end of time that they, they, they didn't. They didn't know. I don't think they knew. They truly knew. I don't think they knew. And that's the hard thing. It's just like they made mistakes. People, other people made mistakes. Hopefully so in the future, we don't make the same mistakes. But it, it is kind of funny to think about really how we essentially deconstructed our own virtual worlds and then wonder why they don't work anymore in the same way. And it's because there's still games. There's still fun in the game, of course. There's still fun in these MMOs. There's fun things to do. But is it fun to just be in the world? It, it isn't fun to me. ESO wasn't fun. Guild Wars wasn't fun in that respect. Black Desert wasn't fun. Uh, Final Fantasy wasn't fun in that respect. Those four games for me, I didn't really have fun being in those worlds because I didn't feel like I was actually a part of them. And, I mean, really, that's, that's my long-winded way of answering your question. Okay. No, that's fair. I mean, it just made me think of, like, whoever was the person that came up with uh, auto-running. Like, man, they... They really screwed up a lot of games with them. Mm -hmm. They did. And unfortunately, that was probably the Asian market. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Well, I, I mean, I kind of figured that much <laughs> from all the free-to-play games. But I'm thinking, like, the exact person. Like, just what was on their mind? Like, oh, this will be easier because then it means they don't have to find who the quest person is or where the quest is at. They just hit a button and then does it for them. And it's just right. it's crazy. And not just that, but it's also like, and Rippy's in our in our Discord talks about this all the time. But it's also like, um, and so does ba uh, not Bacon Knight. So does um, Ulysses, who's actually not here today, surprisingly. But uh, one thing oh, Ulysses right. always mentions is like that. You know, he talks about whenever he was playing TBC and the Burning Crusade, uh, playing WoW TBC, and he said like there was this you know twenty man raid or forty man raid he couldn't even do like no one that he knew in his clan could do it but he did know a clan that did do it and they had all the gear and stuff and he thought that that was so cool there was something that took skill and coordination that only a few people could do and I completely agree I think that's really cool but once again why did we move away from that because instead of going for a smaller audience and working our way up to the bigger audience wipe that off the you know the the docket let's just go straight for the biggest audience that we can let's just streamline everything and wow did that over time of course like it's easy to look at wow and see it how it is now as you know and be like man wow did all of these things but it did all of that over time um it changed the way vendors work it changed the way tokens work it changed combat it changed flying it changed abilities i mean they changed so much about the game that that's why people want that damn classic experience, right? Because it ain't the same game anymore. Right. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's one of those things where, um, you know, and, and I've talked about it uh, at nauseum at this point, but it's just like a lot of the times when I see like a new MMO get announced, like I'll have some interest in it, and it's not so much like, oh, I'm going to assume it's bad. It's just more so... I just know that, or I feel like it won't be the same. Like, it's just not the same. And it's like you said, a lot of it is just how the market's evolved, how, you know, maybe the average consumer looks at it. And definitely that, I guess, in a sense, does kind of help because then you can kind of assume what might 
come out of the game, but at the same time, it, it hurts it too, because then you always will have that, whether it be minority or not, of just people who are just going to assume, oh, this game's going to suck because of this reason. I think that that's such a hard thing and and i know like you you feel similar to me i can i can kind of tell when you talk about mmos where it's like you want to be excited right like let's be honest we want to be happy like we want to be like man i cannot wait for this game to come out i want to be that way i want to be so excited because i miss that i miss being excited about all of these games but i can't help that until they fix the issues i can't play those games because they're still flawed they still have the same issues ultimately and Hope the, I hope the damn market changes in some way. Uh, or fa- I mean, we're seeing it. It's shifting. WoW's losing uh, its market share. Other competitors are kind of gobbling that up. And then we have, of course, all of these other players on the outskirts with their Kickstarter games trying to make something happen. So I'm optimistic, ultimately. But yeah, I'm like you. I, I want to be excited, but it's just it's hard to when they keep releasing such bad games. Yeah. That's for sure. I know uh, Kickstarter definitely has helped a lot with that because it kind of cuts out the middleman of having you know the publisher kind of loom over development. The whole- right. Especially, I mean, especially that. That's how it started, really. Like it was the idea. Like I could, I could do an illustration of this, uh, or have my artist do an illustration of this at some point. It'd be a funny video. But like, I think of like the idea. There was like this big boardroom. You had a bunch of MMO bros. Just like hanging out in the lobby, but then the the big suits come up, walk in with their their you know ties and tuxedos, and they're like, all right, come into the office, come into the meeting room. Everyone goes and sits down. And look, remember the old school gaming developer community? They were dudes working out of their apartments. They're random nerd dudes. Like we were just like that was like the 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 idea, you know? They were just like ragtag group of developers. That was the old school MMO crew. The suit said, I "Need you guys to sit down." We're going to make some changes with your game. But what if it has lasting impact? No, no, no. We, we need more money. We need it now. That's essentially how it goes, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, but sure. my creative decision, I don't care what your creative decision is. Your creative decision right now ain't going to pay my bills. So I need to create a new skin to sell to people for $20 or however much dollars and, and, and quote unquote either recoup what I've spent or more likely these days is just make more profit. Yeah, I know a lot of it too is like uh, the the market as a whole is like in waves. You know, you have uh, these fads of like certain genres coming, but then you also have, uh, you know, like I look back and I think of, uh, and I think I think you've talked about this too, where you'll have a few years, like a period of maybe four or five years, where there was like new games releasing monthly. And then within like a year or two, you'd have those same games that they're like dying out or just completely shut down. And then now we're kind of in this period because uh, it's like up and down where it's like we're starting to slowly see it. Not as many games come out, but, but games coming out in general where it's like, okay, you know, this game's building up and we know it's coming. So at least it's something to look forward to whether or not you're excited for said game. You still know it's coming. Like that's how I feel with, uh, you know, a lot of these Kickstarter ones where – I myself may not be too interested in it, but I'm at least interested in knowing they're coming out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I feel the exact same way. That's why I'm never like when someone or I hear like about a new game or someone tells me about a new game or whatever. It's never like, oh, I don't care about this game. It's, I'm always like, oh, OK, because I like I'm, I'm like you. I just want to keep seeing the, the con- continued iterations 
and continued um, growth of the industry ultimately. And, you know, just hopefully, obviously it gets better. And I think it will, of course, it has to, uh, because we're at essentially what I like to call the valley part of the peak and valley. <laughs> we're at the, we're, we're, you know, during the boom and bust, we're definitely a little bit at the bust because we boomed before, then that bubble popped and now we're at where we're at in a nutshell. Anyway, I, I appreciate you asking the question. I think, um, I think it's an interesting one. And I, and I think ultimately it's, it's something that I wish I could, I could do in a video at some point as well is explain kind of the virtual world in a really nerdy, but also down to earth fashion. Like I, I think it's, it's one of those concepts for me that I, if you notice why I talk about a, a lot and sometimes we'll ramble a little bit, virtual world as a concept is, I mean, just look into research on it. It's pretty hard to quantify to people who haven't experienced it. Like I'm literally trying to tell them that there is another world within their world. It's weird to hear for most people, but for us, of course, who've played those games, we know we experienced it. I had a guy speak to me in some random elven language before. I don't know what he said, but that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it might be a good idea for a future video. Who knows? But, you know, just throwing some ideas out there. But, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that, that the whole, you know, world thing has been taken out of games at this point. They're just like, no, nah, it's a service. It's not even anything but that. It's just game service and among other things. But anyways, yeah, probably rambled a bit too much here. No, it's all right, man. I appreciate you asking uh, your questions, and everybody thank German2 for stopping by today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. No problem. I saw some good discussion, and this is actually related to a question that I had, um, and I'll put it on screen just as I read it. We're about to end, by the way. We're like literally seven minutes away from ending the podcast. So everyone get your questions in now so I can rapid fire them. Okay. Milo's asked me on YouTube. Hey, Nerd Slayer, what's your opinion on bringing the player versus bringing the class? I feel like nowadays all classes have been shaved of identity and are not different enough from each other. You can bring any DPS class for anything and it makes no difference. In old RPGs and MMORPGs, it always felt like a specific class had a specific role or did specific things. Bards and RPGs were amazing. Nowadays, every class has stuns, dots, this and that. A few podcasts ago, you said something similar, as in, there are no downsides to picking a class and race like it used to be, making the, or making it mostly cosmetic. I'd be glad to hear your opinion on it in a more detailed manner. This is actually related, basically, to what you guys are talking about in chat. It's two-pronged. Oh, uh, what's up, uh, Kasapi? It's okay if you can't watch the whole thing through. I appreciate you stopping by. All right. So how do we tie these two concepts together? AKH and, and a couple other guys in chat, I think Limpos and a couple other people were talking about, um, I'll just read uh, what he says here. I think another part making a great virtual world atmosphere is making races and classes that have identity and matter. Classic MMOs offer unique advantages and disadvantages related to this question. The races and classes had distinct functions, buffs, perks that were unique to them. In many modern MMOs, race is negligible. And the only unique thing about classes is the gear and particle effects. The core functions are all essentially the same. WoW is a good example. You used to have classes with unique buffs or things like heroism, brez, etc. that were distinctive perks of a single class. Now it feels like every class does everything. It makes jumping straight into a raid easier, but makes it, but makes it, or makes, but it makes each class, sorry, feel unimportant, thus disrupting the atmosphere and disengaging you from the world. Exactly. Exactly. 
Now, to tie this in with what you said about how old school uh, roles had uh, um, specific things that they were supposed to do, here's why. In RPGs, there are a couple ways that we refer to um, what someone plays as. Feel free to throw in whatever adjective you like to use. I'll, I'll shout it out just so we can represent everyone. But um, class, of course, is one of them. But is class the only one? No, it's not. Archetype, right? Archetype is the, is the nerdiest, push the glasses onto the nose, nerdiest way of saying this is how something plays. It's the archetype, right? Role. Somebody said role as well. That's another one, of course, because role playing game. You're fulfilling a role. What's your role in the adventure party? Are you a bard? That means you play songs. That means you buff people. That means you soothe people. But could you also pay a bard to sing a song for you? Of course. That's what bards do, right? Bards sing songs. So how do you make money <clears throat> in a game that you're playing as a bard? That's your role. You play songs for people. So why doesn't a game do this? Well, because they really haven't figured it out, first off. But the other part is, is that RPGs do this, typically. But unfortunately, because it's just you playing by yourself, nobody's going to sit there and be the ultimate fisher in a single-player game. You know, like, you, you want to do it in a multiplayer game, so you show your friends, show other people, and impact into the environment and ecosystem, right? But Galaxies, once again, we can bring it back to Galaxies briefly here. Galaxies had a very simple system. Okay, you want to play a smuggler? Smuggler is a role. And a smuggler makes money by smuggling. But it also has particular combat things. That, you know, like, maybe a particular ability, whatever else. Particular combat stats. It's not just a class. When we changed it from being about roles and archetypes and, and builds and these different things and just made it a class, that simplified so much of the complexity of RPGs. Because instead of I'm a 15 ranger with a 4 mage or wizard followed by a 1 dragon disciple, or like it wouldn't be dragon disciple because that's not the prerequisites, but you know what I mean, just whatever other class... Um, Warrior, um, bard, right? Like whatever other class, like in 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 D and D. That's how you like create your 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 class, right? Does really anybody in D and D just play one role or one sorry one class? Not really, right? Because yeah, you can play just ranger, and yeah, you can play just wizard, but people also like to diversify their characters and add little wrinkles to it. You know, maybe they want to do this specific thing. Maybe they want to be a paladin. Maybe they want to be a blackguard, an evil paladin. Or maybe they want to be um, a good priest, an evil priest. It's different in the way that they play and the skills, right? Classes remove so much of that complexity because everything plays the same within its framework. So you have, in an MMO, typically three trees. Within three trees, there's about 16 to 20 so skills. I would say at least 70 to 60% of them are passives, while the other ones are just upgraded abilities that you already have. In a nutshell, that's how most MMOs work. Why is that not a good system? Well, because you have three trees and very little variety amongst those three trees. Right? Think about that. It's just simple math. 
There's 10 classes. There's 10 classes and three trees. There's 30 options in the game. I'm going to pull up a, uh, a, a skill calculator for uh, pre-CU Star Wars Galaxies. Check this out. Boom. Select profession. Are you a combat profession? Right? What if I also told you that combat professions also have jobs? Get paid in the game. They make money. They make credits. How? How does a smuggler make money? He smuggles. How does a bounty hunter make money? He bounty hunts. How does a Terrascasi artist make money? Through art or martial art, right? Now, some of the other ones, are, these aren't the best examples. And that's funny because smuggler and bounty hunter came after. That's why they're kind of, they don't really technically fit into just combat. They're more than that. But look at all of these other uh, things we have here. These don't really matter up here. Like, ignore this stuff over here. Ignore th these four. Or, sorry, these three ignore these three so or in this one too so we got combat you pick a class what are you going to craft you can't do it all you can't do it all why would you be able to if you pick one you're going to lose some of that ability to do the other do you want to be a doctor or a combat medic what's the difference one fights one doesn't why wouldn't you want to be a combat medic because maybe you don't want to make that your main force or main uh, way of fighting Maybe you don't want to fight at all. There's doctors in galaxies who never fought. All they did was just buff you and heal your res sickness. Right? Because that's their role. That's what they're supposed to do. And, of course, when you look at, like, a WoW, you know, classic uh, talent calculator, like, everyone's seen this, right? At some point, you've seen a WoW talent ca calculator. I picked Death Knight, you know, Blood Knight specialization. This, these are my options. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, times three. 21 possible traits that I could choose from, except I can only choose one of each. So it's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven skills that I can add to myself. Uh, seven abilities, right? And, you know, I understand why they moved to this system. It's easier and, it's, and it makes sense with the problems that they were facing as an aging game while trying to also add more layers to their game. In some extent, I'm not trying to make excuses for it. I'm just saying, like, I know it's not simple, okay? But how on earth is this anywhere close to the complexity that I just showed? Because the complexity I just showed isn't even the, the tip of the iceberg, right? I didn't even show you guys that once you pick a class, you have all your specializations as well, right? That you have to gain or you have to increase by doing the activity. How do I increase my investigation skill? By sending out more probes to track my targets. How do I get more carbine specialization? By using the carbine more. You can or you could also be a bounty hunter with as well as your prerequisite skills. So what prerequisite skills do you need to be a bounty hunter? Okay. The Bounty Hunter Rewreck. Now that's the, that's the skills. 
The pin's on five types of experience. Apprenticeship, Carbine, Pistol, Heavy Weapons, and Bounty Hunter. So you have to learn pistols, so you become a pistolier if you want to use pistols. If not, use the Carbine, which means that you are a rifleman, I believe, is the one that uses the Carbine as well as obviously the rifle. Um, so there's a specialized type of Bounty Hunter. One uses pistols. That's what I used, by the way. Um, others used rifles. Some used carbines. Some used traps, right? Meaning it's not just, oh, now I have a new ability. It, it completely changes the way that, that you play the character because if I'm a pistolier bounty hunter who has a, a side uh, profession in, in Terrace Kasi, that means that not only can I shoot you with my pistol, I can switch to my fists and fight no problem, right? That, that's what most riflemen learned was Terrace Kasi. That way if someone came up on them, they can still fight melee combat. What other games do something like that simple? They, they don't really do it because what they end up doing is they make everyone be able to do everything. So everybody can attack from range. Everybody can melee. Everybody can jump. Everybody can dash. Everybody can heal. Everybody can tank. Everybody can, you know, obviously WoW isn't the best example for that specifically, but many other games are good examples of that, where it's just like, you can do so little with your character. Now, to, to really explain to you guys how deep this shit gets, I'm typing up D&D character sheets. For any of you who've ever done D&D, you know what this is, right? Here's a character sheet on a basic level of all of the things you have to worry about when creating a character. In an MMO? <laughs> actually, <laughs> by the way, this, this is actually a really funny example, but... Okay. Let's, let's pretend I'm playing an MMO according to this sheet. Class and level, awesome. I'm a knight, or I'm a warrior, archer, cool. My background, I'm an elf. Or no, my background, I'm guy, because there's no background. Okay, so I'm uh, level one archer, guy, nerd slayer, faction, I don't know, what are my options? Horde or alliance, essentially? Two factions in most games, right? Like a two, like a two or three faction kind of thing. Let's say it's ESO and I can be one of, you know, seven, eight factions. Doesn't matter, essentially. So I can put anything here. This doesn't change anything in my game in an, in an MMO, typically. Right? Usually. Okay. Race. Same concept. What does it really change? Not a whole lot. Okay. So I change my race. I change. Some games have alignment, mostly older games. Newer games don't have alignment. Let's say Swotor has alignment. Okay. I change that. My experience point doesn't really matter. DCI number. Okay. That doesn't really matter. Now starts the character creation. Right? What I just did is the tip of the iceberg in a D&D game or in a, a pen and paper game. I, I just spent probably 10, 20 minutes working on this little part. That's an MMO. Now, look at what a, a tabletop game looks like, right? Where I got to worry about my strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence. This is all auto-picked for you when you pick a class, by the way. You don't have to worry about any of this when you play MMOs typically. It's almost all auto-picked for you. Auto stats and all of that stuff. Okay, so which one? What are my stats? I only have a certain amount of stats, so I have to... Allocate my points, you know, carefully. Okay, but there's also other skills, right? And skills are things like this. Deception, animal handling, athletics. The higher my animal handling is, I can create better horses. Higher my persuasion is, I get better charisma checks. Um, higher my sleight of hand is, I can steal better. Higher my survival is, I can heal easier. 
or I can camp maybe without camp uh, resources. You get the idea. Now I've got attacks, spells, I've got passive things, I've got other proficiencies and languages my character could know, because of course he would. If I'm going to create a character, why wouldn't he know other languages, right? Or at least a language. What's his equipment? Can I customize exactly what he's wearing? Is he dressed as a, you know, a sharp-dressed man? Literally, like, that's a funny song, that's why I searched it. But is he just some random sharp-dressed man? Or maybe he looks like a, a bard. Maybe he looks like that. I want to create my character like that and make it... Okay, so this is my character. I've got the bard now. Now to go back to my character sheet. Oh, wait, I haven't even started on this whole other section. Look at this. I finished my attacks. I finished my equipment. I got my, my, my uh, combat stats. I got my skills picked. And I've got, you know, that stuff handled. Okay, got that out of the way. I haven't done my personality traits yet. Who is my person? How does he act? What are his ideals? What does he value the most? Or she? Bonds. Who are they friends with? Who do they hate? Flaws. What's the downside of their character? Right? And again, this is hard to quantify. I'm not saying those are easy to put in a game. That's usually where the player comes into mind. But then I also have an entire section of features and traits. Right? So now I have another whole amount of shit that I have to deal with. But wait. I'm not done with creating a character yet. I gotta scroll down, there's more. What's his age? His height, weight, eyes, skin, hair? What, ki what kind of rank is he within his faction? What kind of allies does he have, right? Like the, it's just, this cracks me up because I did this dumb little example essentially just to show you guys that this is not how it is in most MMOs. Most MMOs, it's Create my guy, like, okay, click, click the little presets. I'm a warrior. Go. That, how can you roleplay? Like, how can you roleplay if you're the warrior guy who's big? Like, what's the story behind? Like, how, do, how does someone that can't create stories get immersed or feel like a part of their character? They don't, dude. They don't. If the gameplay is just not fun, then they just don't play. <laughs> and that's just absurd to me. D&D, I mean, the gameplay, there is, you know, there is gameplay, but it's different. It's not like gameplay, more like gameplay, right? You know, I'm playing based on my stats. I'm playing based on these things. So there's more considerations, of course, in a D&D &D game compared to a normal game. But I found this very interesting that when I, by the way, someone told me this. I wasn't the one that thought of this idea. I met a guy at um, PAX Unplugged who was a big tabletop fan, and I asked him, why aren't MMOs breaking into like the tabletop audience? Like, why isn't the tabletop audience as popular as it used to be with MMOs? And he told me essentially it comes down to character uh, customization. He's like, look, I can speak for most of us and that we like to create the character that we can create. Not only do we pick his race and class, his backstory, pick his love interest. We pick all of these other different things. And again, again, some of that is super hard to realize into a game. Like, how do you pick your love interest? You know, like, I know there's limitations because imagination is better than a game is currently. Our imagination currently, again, currently is better than any game we can think of, right? Because I could just create the greatest game idea in my brain. But is it actually a good game or is it actually a game? It's an idea, right? That's why I don't really talk too much about those Kickstarter games. But when he made that point to me, man, it really resonated with me because it told me, like, the customization that we get in MMOs is just the tip of the iceberg. 
such it's of creating your character and that it, that's really when you think about it that's a big reason why we don't have bigger role play communities is they don't have the tools to create the content or the characters they want to create so how are they going to play those games that's why many of them if they do play mmos again i spoke to many people at pex unplug diehard tabletop fans say that they play an mmo it's just casually because it doesn't ultimately have enough for them they, they ask me about i want a game like neverwinter nights one or two where it's like i can create a module and then have someone play that like they want more ability to create content create the story why not give role players access to dungeon tools why not let them create dungeons for other games have done this why not let them create armor for you again all concepts that have been done before and that have worked but if they're going to be used again, I don't know. Ragnarok Online may let you marry other players. Yeah, I guess some games do have uh, marriage systems. Such. I, I guess I was trying to be as like realistic as possible. To be like, I know, like in a game, it's hard to be like quantifiably like, here's my love interest and here's what it means to me, unless it actually exists in the game or you met somebody that obviously you fell in love with. Traits are a huge thing, exactly. I mean, traits are some of the hugest thing in in D and D, right? Anyway, uh, did I have any other questions you guys wanted uh, to ask me, or did you guys have any questions you wanted to ask me? What is your opinion on the Israel Palestine conflict? Uh, that I have no opinion. Um, did I get any other questions? You guys got two minutes. By the way, I, I really appreciate AKH gifting everybody, and I appreciate everybody stopping by to watch me on the podcast today. I was a little bit kind of all over the place, but it's like when I talk about virtual worlds, kind of ends up doing that. It's because I haven't completely collected my thoughts on it because I haven't done a video on it. So it's like it's not as um refined, but also I was taken aback by the amounts of a donation or like sub trains today so that also kind of caught me off guard <laughs> in a good way i just want to thank you for answering yeah no problem i agree i like more interactive story rather than reading something or something someone else just typed out also my name is pronounced milosh milosh gotcha Mila. milosh milosh Sorry, I'm not I'm not Scandinavian, which I assume by your name that you're Scandinavian. Yeah, no problem, Skillaboom. It's all good. Uh yeah, it looks like it's a good time to stop as any. Um I want to thank everybody for for, you know, taking the time, as I said, to watch me today. For those who were there since the beginning, those who showed up late, it's okay. I don't hold it against you. Thank you for being here, period. I hope you guys have a rest or a good rest of your Monday on the eighteenth of February today. This was episode twenty-two of the Six Pixels Under podcast. Talked about a lot of things, but um, some definitely some interesting topics. And um, it, virtual worlds are interesting, aren't they? I mean, if I can, I, how about this? I'll end. I'll end it with this with you. And I and I and I always like to end my streams with a call to arms. But like I said, if you want to understand my perspective. And why or how I look at MMOs or how I look at virtual worlds. Just next time you play an MMO, again, 
try and create the exact character that you want to create. I'm saying, like, be diligent. Wait, maybe even take some time to come up with a character. But I'm just saying, like, take the time, create the character you really want to create. Think about the backstory, motivations, ideals. What do they believe? What do they, what do they want? What do they desire? And try and play that MMO to the fullest of the world and be immersed in it. If you can do that in many of the current day MMOs, I applaud you because I've been yet unable to do that. As soon as I see the, the veil peeled back, <laughs> I just, you know, I rip that shit off essentially and I'm like, I see for what this is. This is a game. It's not a world. And it's okay. Games are games, right? They're fun. They're designed to be difficult in some ways, but ultimately the hook is that they're fun. But virtual worlds aren't just games. And that's why whenever people would tell me as a young kid, it's just a game, I would say, you know what? On the surface it is. But is just a game one that you could meet your partner for the rest of your life? Is just a game one that you meet friends that you still are friends with today? Best friends even? This has happened to me. Is, are those things not real life? Was that stuff not real? Of course it's real. I met tons of friends. I made friends. I, I, I met the love of my life. Playing video games, being online, being in that community, right? Being around that stuff. Games are way more than people let them out to be. They can, they can be as much as you want them to be, of course. But MMOs? MMOs is just another ball game because the scale, it's scale we've never even seen or heard of. So we don't really know what to do. Because there is so much to do. And really, like I said, the thing I leave with you guys today is preach for virtual world MMOs. Let developers, let other people know that the reason why the game doesn't necessarily, you know, work for you is because maybe you want a game that functions as a world, right? And so, like, no, MMOs aren't just games. They're virtual worlds. They have economies. Like, I've read books on this shit where they've literally had economists from reputable universities do analysis on the economy of video games, of, of, of MMOs, I should say. Think about that. This one guy said, quote for quote, I think it was Richard Bartle, actually, one of the PhDs in, A in AI and whatever technology. He came up with the Bartle types. He said that, um, <laughs> what was it in particular? He said that, uh, was it, I think it was about the, um, the virtual world. Damn it, I can't remember what he said. I hate that I have to leave you guys with that. Hello, nice. It does seem pretty complex. That's a lot of reason I couldn't really get into it. Played it drunk a few times and didn't really understand what's going on. Yeah, and that and that, that's funny enough. That's why I love MMOs is I know that tabletop and, and pen and paper RPGs are not for everyone. They are not for everyone. There's a, they're for a particular kind of person. And so this is, to me, this is bridging the gap. For now, it's bridging the gap because we can't do what we say we can do yet, right? Meaning like, imagination is a little bit ahead of where the game is like right now the technology but we're bridging the gap once we get to that point reality right virtual world that's the future that's what games we're going to be playing in the future these other games will be too meaningless i'm telling you 
Online games, the ones that people are ultimately going to play long-term in the future, are the ones that you into another world. That's my opinion, at least. Anyway, thanks for watching, guys. I appreciate you stopping by, as I said. And I will see you guys later. Peace.